how very much I've loved you. How very much I've tried my best to give you the good life. But in spite of all of that I've tried, a handful of our people with their lives have made our life impossible. There's no way to detach ourselves from what's happened today. Not only we're in a compound situation, not only are there those who have left and committed the betrayal of the century, some have stolen children from others and they're in pursuit right now to kill them because they stole their children. And we, we are sitting here waiting on a powder keg. I don't think this is what we want to do with our babies. I don't think that's what we had in mind to do with our babies. It was said by the greatest of prophets from time immemorial, no man lay, takes my life from me, I lay my life down. Welcome back to the ATI Podcast, Episode 11, Barrett here to get our journey started today. This week, Josh and I will be welcoming guest Rich Jackson to the show to discuss Jim Jones, Jonestown, and the cult known as the People's Temple. Ridge is a good friend of the show. Ridge and I first crossed paths in Little Dribbler's Basketball League in elementary school. Then we later reconnected in high school through many mutual friends. Later... Ridge would be in several of the bands we had in the local area, primarily playing guitar and secondarily bass. However, many of our like interests outside of our pursuit of music kept us all engaged. Things like true crime, conspiracies, cults, games, movies, etc. Resulting in a nearly 25 plus year friendship and acquaintances. Therefore, none better to invite to the show to discuss Jonestown. Now, let's set the table for the discussion, Jonestown. The story of Jonestown begins with Jim Jones, a white minister who preached about unconventional socialist ideas and progressive ideals. Predominantly, he recruited African-American people to his congregation, which was very unusual for the time. That congregation would become to be known as the People's Temple. At the height of its popularity in the 1970s, the People's Temple had memberships estimated in the thousands and courted many local politicians and people of influence, including Harvey Milk. But by 1977, Jim Jones had grown paranoid from media scrutiny over the People's Temple's suspicious activities. Jones and his numerous followers moved to an agricultural settlement, a.k.a. Jonestown, in Guyana, the remote country near Venezuela. In 1978, the mass suicide and deaths that took place on November 18th resulted in the largest number of U.S. casualties until September 11th of 2001. Famously and infamously, this cult is responsible for the phrase, must be drinking the Kool-Aid. Interlaced in the show today as heard in the show's open, we're going to be infusing excerpts 
from the Jonestown death tape that was released by the FBI in recent years. At the close of the show today, we're going to hear the conclusion of the death tape, as well as an awesome exclusive single debut of Rift Masters' Path of Might out of St. Louis, featuring from the Manoa area, our own Marcus Newstead. Alrighty, we're going to jump into the lovely cult known as the People's Temple, Jim Jones, and all of the fun that took place in Jonestown today. We got our good buddy Ridge here on the show with us. Hey! Welcome to Pound Town, Ridge. This is our temple the palace of, of pleasure pound, baby all right it's and nice to be uh, here. yeah we're happy to have you sir yeah good and to see you all again we thought it would be very appropriate to have you on this episode in particular because i know like you know some of the our earliest bonding was over things like eliminate and cults and <laughs> outside cult. of playing music you know cult stuff you, you know, know kind of occult type things and talk and, right. and that sort of stuff so you know anytime i've ever found out about something cult wise like i've shared it with you you've shared it with me that sort of thing you know well, you it, serial like, killers that sort of stuff well even like media you guys like horror films and stuff like that so right you guys right. always shared that yeah Anything to desensitize me is <laughs> usually what we go for. Like Ridge, Ridge and I went on this bender one time. We found like this blog about the worst movies ever made, like, you know, most disturbing films. Oh, God. And oh, so we like yeah, literally torrented that. every single one. Yeah. And, tr- and we did movie marathons for like a few days where we tried to watch <laughs> as many of them as we could. Like we went on like a six hour bender. Like, we, we watched like Trash Humpers. Oh, we God. watched 120 Days in Sodom. Oh, shit. We watched, 120 like... 120 Days uh, in Sodom. That's great. That fucked up movie with Tobey Maguire and all of them when they were real, real young. Oh, um, what was that called? Had Jenny Lewis in it, and oh, Leo was in it, too. <laughs> it was, like, something Diner, I want to say was the name of it. But uh, Leo locked it up in court, yeah. and he actually sued the studio. He did want it released because of how bad... It made all of them look. Yeah. It was like ridiculous. Like they all just yeah. like sat in this diner booth and <laughs> it was just them just like ribbon on the square, you know, just out there just like cutting it up. That's literally the entire movie. Yeah. And there's garbage. Yeah. Nothing more than that. No. And so there was nothing really disturbing or unsettling about it other than the fact that it had a lot of controversy around right. it because of being locked up in the courts and so on and so forth. So right. is that or uh, did we watch Serbian film? Serbian film, yeah, close to that for sure. Oh, that was the worst decision we ever made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Serbian film's pretty pretty brutal, and it's not for the like. I'm not going to probably ever watch that movie again. Like, no, not, not willingly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty bad. It's yeah. like you know, uh, essentially the premise is this retired porn star, perhaps the most famous porn star ever. He comes back into he's lured back into the industry by money. But then they start like blackmailing him and he's like doing this progressively like worse and worse film. <laughs> and he's like coming home and not remembering what he did and this, that, the other thing. And it turns out that, that I'll just spoiler here. Uh, he fucks his son in the ass unknowingly. Yeah. So Holy shit. Not, that, that not really my cup I of tea. Expect at all, so. Yeah. <laughs> it goes zero to 60 real quick. So, yeah. It's kind of almost like getting into some MK Ultra kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you a disturbing story about that movie in particular. So, uh, our friend Brandon came back home and brought one of his buddies from the military back home. And I was at work, and this is when Brandon was still a single man. He decided to hook up with a, a local. While I was at work, my wife 
girlfriend at the time at the apartment with that playing with the kid from the military (laughs) that we didn't know. How awkward, dude. So she had to sit through an hour of a Serbian film with a total stranger. While he was back and getting some local. Yeah. While Brandon was back getting some local. Brandon, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're going to hear this. So, yeah. So on to the Jim Jones subject in particular uh, and the People's Temple and Jonestown and Guyana, paradise, if you will, the promised land. I first recall knowing about Jim Jones, you know, like early childhood, I'd say around 10 approximately, you know, so like Heaven's Gate happened um, when I was 10 or so. And I remember I was sitting in a waiting room and my dad had an appointment in Farmington and in the waiting room, they had Time Magazine. So they had Heaven's Gate on the front of Time Magazine. What was it that just guy? happened. What was the guy that led Heaven's Gate? Marshall Applewhite. That's yeah. right. Applewhite. Applewhite. Yeah, they drink the apple juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's always the way you remember that guy. Um, but anywho, I was, they even had pictures in there. So like I'm 10 and I'm looking at the FBI released photos and everything that was in Time Magazine that was published at the time. And there was a lot of mentions and, rec- and, and allusions to Jonestown explicitly in the articles. Right. Uh, and so that's at least as far as print and media. I feel like it was always like known in a hearsay way, like don't drink the Kool-Aid, you know, the yeah, famous saying, yeah. of course. Yeah, I definitely grew up hearing that a lot. So, so. And, and if you're like, well, what does that mean? And then somebody would tell you, you know, essentially very small bullet points. But the thing about Jonestown has always been that it was, you know, people always jump to the end. They yeah. don't tell the story leading up to the end. Right. What was the right. cause of that? And, and that's, it's a natural question to always ask why to things that you don't know anything about. But right. it, whenever you start you know, coming in at adulthood and things like that, you're, you're not as inquisitive in some cases or as right. curious. So, but uh, Jonestown specifically was one of those that I feel like I was always aware of. Do you guys recall your memories? Ridge, how about you first hearing about Jonestown? It fascinated me just how he could control so many people. Yeah. Yeah. So were you probably like in grade school, middle school, from what you recall, whenever you first heard of it? I never really heard of it back then. I guess I yeah. just never. Just when you got older and got a little bit more curious. Yeah. I'm kind of similar. Stuff. I think like more cult stuff that I heard when I was younger was like more Branch Davidians and, you know, because of the Timothy McVeigh bombings and mm-hmm. he was there with the protest for the Branch Davidians and all that. Right. And then, you know, Heaven's Gate and, you know, the media, the media, like you said, that a lot of people don't know the backstory on it. And that's because the media only wants to cover the glorified mass murder event. Right, they right, they right. don't want to cover the backstory because that doesn't no. sell. You know what no, I mean? No, the, the headline is man kills, you know, in Jonestown and example you know 900 people right you know that's that that's the headline so you whenever you're looking at that um you're gonna buy that subscription right the cases or like timothy mcveigh you know what they focused in on a lot was the youth deaths right in the building there yeah which this actually outnumbers that yeah a lot of people don't realize again because it took place you know in another country technically but it it all started here in the united states folks so you know that Jonestown was kind of that cooler topic, if you will, uh, particularly whenever it happened. You know, another thing I like to do with historical stuff like this, go back and talk to people that lived it. Oh, yeah. Like some of the survivor interviews are like, like batshit crazy to me anyway. Like Absolutely. some of them are still manipulated and completely involved in right. that whole situation, so, regardless if they're a part of it still or not. You know what I mean? I'll kind of address this here, too, because it seems like an opportune time. So like as far as the sources are concerned... 
I, I pull from several different things. We all encouraged each other to look at several different things. So there's right. a lot of, there's a PBS documentary in Jonestown. Watch that. Um, several articles out there. Rolling Stone did an article. Sometimes opinion gets littered into that sort of thing. Oh yeah, for sure. And for sure. I want to read this, this happened on this date, da, 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 da. Let me form my own opinion. Right. I don't need you to, you know, do any grand illusions for me. Right. So I'll read things that are more literal, like Encyclopedia Britannica, things of that ilk. There's literally a published FBI file online for you to read. I read some of that in an FBI profile biography, even as our website. But that's a government agency, boy. You can't trust the FBI. Can't touch the FBI. What's wrong with you, Bert? Don't you know where you come from? Get back to your roots, son. They'll dribble in here, man. God. Get Dale dribble, dribble on the case. We would have done had this motherfucker solved a long time ago. <laughs> this was a conspiracy. Speaking of that, that is actually, I guess, the first exposure or figuring out what a cult is was from King of the Hill. Yeah. yeah. When Luann joins that cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, that, <laughs> yeah. Is, that episode's and, uh, cool. Yeah. And there's a lot of allusions to the Jonestown stuff. Aren't they stuff. wearing, like, the white gowns and, or yeah. whatever in that? It's like yeah, a they, actually, they it's more point. so Heaven's Gate because they do wear jumpsuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but they're like on the buses it, or whatever. When the King of the Hill started, it started about the same time though. Yeah. So that's well, it might say nineties, like late nineties. Yeah, I think that's first year was like ninety seven. So it'd be the same year it as Beavis as and Heaven's Butthead, Gate. right? Like so, it was a it was a springboard off of Beavis and Butthead. Right. Like so, you uh, got to think Beavis and Butthead did do America was ninety eight. I don't know. Well, that's the movie, yeah. but they had a TV show right, in the early right. 90s yeah, that, and MTV. Yeah, so. Right, right. So really, it permeated, you know, pop culture oh, in yeah. the sense that, you know, there was a lot of jokes about it. It was on the late night circuits. Right. There was references in movies. Uh, there was references in TV shows, as Ridge said. You know, there was a lot of sources. But again, mostly what you hear is the joking type stuff. It's not the mm-hmm. facts now. Right. We're not going to over inundate you with the the dates and that sort of stuff. Yes, we're going to give you the start. You're going to hear a little bit of the middle dates and the end dates. But what we're really going to focus on is just kind of telling the story chronologically. And we're going to try to do it as in a condensed fashion as, as possible. There's other forms of media out there that cover this a little bit more long form. But I'll say very confidently, I think what we have prepared here for you guys to listen to today is just as good as many of the two-hour documentaries that you can find literally everywhere. YouTube, if you know you don't yeah. have TV service or whatever the case is. It's everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I thought I knew a lot about Jonestown and then started doing a little more digging. And yeah. There's still so much. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, another thing, too, as far as sources, I'll allude back to that as well. So there's a couple different books that I've read excerpts out of as well. So there's Raven. And that was done almost immediately and literally from somebody that was at Jonestown or, you know. Right. And uh, Raven is actually like littered with inaccuracies. Uh, there's a more recent um, one. And this is a book, right? Novel. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. a more recent novel. I forget the name of it now. Uh, that that has the benefit of, you know, history having passed and to be able to cooperate stories and go back and speak to all the survivors and that sort of stuff. So right. that one is way more accurate, uh, but uh, allegedly Raven from start to finish is an entertaining read. So there's a couple different sources that are pulled from. I'll even allude to a line from Raven uh, in today's material that we have prepared. Uh, so the world, the kingdom toughest violence and the violence shall take it by force. If we can't live in peace, then let's die in peace. We've been so betrayed. We have been so terribly betrayed. 
Let's get into Jim Jones's early childhood. One has to think a guy who eventually we know the end, if you will, or if you don't, obviously over 900 people died in Guyana. Jim Jones in particular, how, how does a guy that orchestrates such a thing, where, how does he start? What makes the man tick? And, and these are the type of questions that we like to answer. So Jim Jones, people have wondered how many times Jim Jones, again, a man who preached racial and social equality, turned to evil. Many historians and writers surmise that Jones's dark qualities, his need to control people, his deceit, and his anger toward people who betrayed him in particular, could actually be traced back to his childhood in Indiana. Jim Jones was born on May 13th of 1931 in Crete, which is near Lynn, Indiana. Lynn, Indiana is basically where his whole childhood uh, takes place at. Jim was actually born to a World War I vet, had severe complications from gas consumed, um, that was a big thing in World War One. Oh, yeah, returning mustard vets. gases and stuff like yeah. that was a big issue. It created Hitler himself, I think, exactly suffered a correct. gas attack during World War One yeah. when he was a messenger or whatever. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know why I'm bringing up Hitler. That's fucking random. Talking about another oh, no. mass oh, murdering Jim psychopath. Jones. No, he's very. A lot of people endured horrific, uh, you know, complications in World War One from gas attacks in particular. So, where what happened to his father? Essentially, kind of what was reported uh, as far as his ailments, if you will was he had a lack of spirit. Uh, He was a man without a will. He had a lot of lung complications in particular, couldn't move around anywhere at any aggressive or quick pace, that sort of thing. So it left him unable to work. Fortunately, he came from a very wealthy family. Again, this is Jim Jones's father. So he came from a very wealthy family who was able to actually support them. However, Jim's mother 17 years younger, actually, than his father, hooked up with him, and had already been through four marriages at that point as well. Oh, God. So she got married to him at 25. Mother Lynette, considered very rough around the edges at the time, she'd been through several marriages, as I mentioned previously. She smoked, she cursed, wore pants, had a salty disposition, and was constantly making excuses for her failures. And a lot of the statements I'm going to make today are going to actually allude or foretell to things, there's going to be a little bit of foreshadowing going on. So this mistakes for her failure, sort of thing. Right. You're going to notice this is a theme today. Right. And when we say wear pants, I'm, and we were talking of the time, you know what I mean? Like exactly it right. wasn't common for a woman to wear blue jeans every day. Right. In those times. So yeah. You so it's think, 1931. Right. Right. right you got to you got to think of. And she was you know, already wearing pants. So right, this is about right. the time of the flapper boom, and all that stuff too. Just just happened literally a few years before that. Right. So she's a very unusual lady for a time. Jim's mother was forced to work in this arrangement uh, by Jim's grandparents, essentially. That's a, on his father's side of the family because she was able-bodied, much younger. His, you know, his, his father's family didn't really approve of his mother to begin with as it was, so it kind of set things off on the wrong track as far as that was concerned. So Jim's mother, again, Lynetta, she was a, a little salty about that situation right. in and of itself as well. So she did constantly profess too that Jim essentially was her purpose on earth in the sense that he was going to be a great man to do great things. And he was going to be very powerful and successful and just, and Lord over people and just a lot of fantasy, fantasy prophesying, if you will. And again, you're going to, again, this is another thing you're going to notice making a lot of um, grandiose ideas for a son to have to essentially live up to. Right. So one could consider that that be a part. And, and another thing to consider here, too, at the time, mental illness is not really a thing. 
Right. Like people don't not like believe it in today. it. It's right. not, yeah. Yeah. So, the, you know, the middle illness boom was more so started to develop and build like in the late seventies, even into the eighties. So that the talk of mental illness, how to treat it, the different afflictions that people can have from mental illness, it's quite different. There's no question that she suffered from narcissism. And, you know, and I, I wouldn't say that that's ever been commonly reported as a like a hereditary thing to move down from generation to generation. Right. But it's it's certainly it's infectious in the way that if you're constantly, I, well, raised by a narcissist. Right. And in this case, you're, you're already sowing those seeds for the next generation to be so well, as well. And you have a child mind, you're an adolescent, you know right. what I mean? And you're absorbing what you see. And if his father was absent and he had a narcissistic mother and that was her way of showing affection was filling his mind with fantasies and all this. I mean, you can see the impacts, you know what I mean? Yeah. And in a, in a way, again, as we'll tell, there's many decisions that he makes in his life to try and, you know, take those stepping stones, take that path, if you will, to make those dreams a reality. Jim was actually known as a loner most of his youth. Uh, Jim would entertain his playmates often in the loft of his family's barn, very captive audiences in his family's barn. And he would even lock up some of his friends inside the barn from time to time. Many activities took place in the barn. He would, you know, bring dead animals into the barn, show them off to people. He would actually conduct like mock funerals for the dead animals. He would like experiment on dead animals. Yeah. Famously, in the 2006 documentary Jonestown: The Life and Death of, of People's Temple, Jim and his childhood friends spoke about some of his his odd characteristics and acts. He was obsessed with religion. He was obsessed with death. A friend of mine told me that he saw Jimmy kill a cat with a knife. And that was a direct quote from the documentary. Uh, also, it's been said that Jones had an early fascination with Adolf Hitler. Well, so you well, mentioned that Hitler talk earlier. So here we go. <laughs> the, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this he was, and really the thing that he was fascinated with, with Hitler was the fact that he committed suicide. Outside of the charisma and, you know, the, the way he held an audience captive in particular, those oh, were yeah. technically his his initial, initial fascinations with Hitler. But uh, when it came to Hitler's suicide uh, in April of 1945, so you have to think this actually happened in Jim's lifetime. He was 14 years old when Hitler Big news approximately too, right. uh, did what he did. Jim thought it was actually admirable, and he was very impressed by the fact that Hitler actually committed suicide to avoid humiliation at his captors. Right. So again, that tells you kind of perhaps why some of the decisions were made here that we're talking about today. Jim would also take his schoolmates to a nearby casket factory and give them tours. He'd make them lay down inside so they could experience what it was like to be dead. So uh, what was obviously... If anybody has any sense and you're taking kids to a casket factory and, and, and putting them inside a casket, right. probably, you know, initially there's a there's a herd of people out of, uh, you know, morbid curiosity, we'll put it that way, that want to experience this. But his numbers started to fall drastically of the kids that actually wanted to go to the casket factory with them. So, <laughs> well, and you, again, you got to think of the times. This right. is a much different time oh, than it is the, today. Like, right. The casket, the kids. reason that they were able to do it is they left the fucker unlocked. Oh my like God. they literally left a factory unlocked. Hey boys, let's go drink some beers and hop in some caskets tonight. Yeah, like I mean, it sounds like kind of a, a good stag time. Yeah, you know, oh, with yeah. the boys, I love that. Yeah. that would be fantastic. But like, that scared the piss out of me at ten years old. <laughs> right, you know? be, be like a ten year old, be like, get in this casket, man. That'd be awesome. You know, but 
you know, with with that them folks falling off, the, the young folks that is falling off of his interest for him, Jim started to target friendships and camaraderies with kids that were much younger than him, which will kind of be telling in, in, in and of again some of his uh, decisions that he made to find people that would, you know, follow him and be a little bit more susceptible mentally that he could control and target and go after. Again, laying the foundation for later what's going down in Jonestown specifically. Jim also became very fascinated with religion at a young age, so he began attending church. Uh, He also began wearing his Sunday best at school, uh, which also obviously caused him to stand out even more so at school and make him even more of an oddity. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, you're wearing your preacher attire to school every day, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And really, he gets his start in the Methodist faith, and it's not on account of his own parents. You know, somebody locally took an interest in him. I want to say an aunt, perhaps. I don't recall exactly who, but he has somebody in his life that brings him to church. Right. Um, close yeah, to his family. His I think it was yeah. his aunt. Yeah. So he starts going to church, and he's really interested by essentially the whole the ceremony of it. A guy gets up, he talks, everybody's energized by it, yada, yada. Now, Methodist right. churches, comparatively to my experiences, uh, are very uh, mild, tame. Mild. Because right? right. I went to an apostolic church. Right. And we'll do an episode on, on the apostolic religion at some point yeah, as well. Yeah, I've, I've got some oh, funny stories so for that episode. So we're going to have, <laughs> have a, 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 that's going to be, that's going to continue in our cult series. This is, this is episode one in our cult series, and the apostolic <laughs> faith will be in there later. Uh, but that's then not a cult, that's a religion. Right. There you go. And you know what? That, <laughs> that's the line. Like, that's what's so fascinating about, like, even this specific story for me is because, like, even us three, we've grown up in the Bible Belt, and we can see the cult-like following that can come with religion and how people's behaviors are when it comes to religion. Sure. Because, we, you know, we've been exposed well, to Well, whenever it, so. you literally are inbred from inception of your life to believe that you're born in iniquity, that right. nothing that you can do is going to stop you from being a sinner. The right. minute that you come out of your mom's veg right. or C-section or however it goes right. down, you are a sinner. Right. And, you and to it's go to instilled hell. in you from, you know, so yeah. you got to think how, how this affects people later on in Absolutely. life. You know what I mean? Like... So with his fascinations with church, you can also see a lot of parallels with the Hitler stuff. Again, he was interested in the guy captivating an audience, everybody bending to their need, will, regardless of what the vehicle was, religion, right. um, political beliefs, those were just vehicles for, you know, a pastor or Hitler, if you will. Sure. Right. But yes, there's always an agenda to execute. And again, as you see things develop out with People's Temple, Jim Jones, later Jonestown, those motivations or the seeds are there in, in early childhood as we're painting the picture here. Also, Jim got to be known for making these impromptu speeches at pep rallies as well. So it would actually make him stand out even more so. But people were actually kind of into it because it was like very pro-school spirit. Right. Things right, of that ilk. Right. So that... Also led to coincidentally similar amount of time. Jim's actually organized a basketball league for like kids, and he was a kid. Yeah, so he organized his own fucking like little dribblers. <laughs> you know, yeah. He wasn't even very intense about it. He was very intense, but he they they the the thing you're gonna find about Jim is he actually did have like possess good qualities. Like you know, one more than one thing can be true, right? Right, right. right. And this is gonna be a big theme on our shows as well. Uh, not just this show, but, you know, future episodes, especially things of this subject matter. Like, you can be more than one thing. Like, you can be intelligent and you can be purely evil. Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah. So, you know, we could go back to Hitler on that talk. And as right. you heard in our censorship 
right. the classic episode that we drop, we talk about Hitler and we talk about, yes, he's intelligent, but it doesn't change the fact that he was capable of doing horrific things. Right. You're going to see the same traits with Jim Jones. He was very highly organized. He had a lot of administrative skills in particular. This started to shine whenever he created this basketball league. He created this basketball league and everybody wanted to play in it. It was a high in demand. And then he fucks it up at some point. Um, and there's some story to the effect of he like made a trap door. And somebody fell through it and got, like, really injured, and it freaked everybody out. So, like, nobody wanted to do the fucking basketball league anymore. I mean, yeah. 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 Wasn't he, like, he was telling kids right. to just, hey, here, hey, kid, here's a trap door. Yeah. Oh, go down there. Yeah, go right. fuck with that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, like, even as he starts to have things going good for him, he fucks it up. Right. He gets in his own way with his, like fucked up you know fascination for doing things to people with death you know so on and so forth jim's father you know close to all of this died unfortunately so that kind of propelled jim into religion and helping support the family so jim would actually you know jump from other church from church to church too and really take a study do a case study on preachers how they talked, how they're their, captivating their congregation, yeah, amnic batimeter, you know, the, the way right. that they speak and so right. on and so forth, and really just start taking notes. He like literally, and this is a kid taking notes. Yeah. Okay. Kind of his patterns, what he does, and how and his upbringing gets totally interrupted by his dad dying. His dad dies, and his mom. So the family doesn't give a shit about you know the mom or whatever, and basically you they're know she off. takes off. Yeah, she, they got cut off from the family. Right. So she ends up uh, moving, and it's and what's fucked up about it, it's like as if the dad never lived. Like, they have no acknowledgement. Like, you know, they don't revisit the grave. The mom just moves on with her life. Jim Jones moves on with her life as if it never happened, which is highly unusual in, oh, in many yeah. respects. Yeah. And, and see, it's even been said that whenever he had his grave laid, they left a spot for his wife to be buried next to him. And it was, ne and she was never. It never happened. But somebody came back later and etched in her details on oh, his shit. tombstone. Oh yeah. yeah. Wow. So that's that's pretty wild that as well. That is wild. She's not there, right? Huh. They they move, and this forces Jim to work and help support the family. So Jim is with his mom, and uh, he takes up a job at a residential care facility, and Jim fucking takes off there. Like he does fantastic. He is really great with the old people. He's really great. Like he's been known to like some of the comments that were made about him was he's great at sponge baths. He makes sponge baths fun. Oh my God. Uh, Jim Jones just smiling ear to ear. Just <laughs> yeah. Just greasing up. Don't forget that crevice, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Slap, that, McQueen. Slap that sponge down in there the right way, boy. <laughs> Uh, so Jim, uh, in between shoving his fist up in an old lady's ass and, um, jerking off the elderly men. So, you know, what do you end up actually knowing about Jim Jones? I make that joke, but you know, like it yeah. might've actually happened. He you might, know, yeah. might've some, some fucked up That's shit. why he got like five star reviews on Yelp for his handle of the elderly. <laughs> it makes all the sense in the world though. 
That's the first time I come in 20 years, Sonny. <laughs> it got me harder than a rock. I didn't even have to take that by. <laughs> so uh, Jim Jim takes off at the, the hospital. Um, he essentially just knew he could never be a doctor. So he was like, I'm going to be the fucker in charge of the doctor, which he immediately identified was the administrator. Mm-hmm. And so he like set his sights on that. So he put his all into it, and he, and he did great, like I said. In particular, another comment that was made about him and the great work that he did was that he was like fantastic with grieving families. Like somebody died in the residential care facility and he was like, again, five star reviews on Relp. I make that joke, but yeah. you know, the families were just like highly complimentary of this. So one of the uh, patient care techs, their nurses was uh, Madeline Baldwin. And so she started to take notice of Jim. And so Madeline was drawn to him on account of this and uh, just kind of his general disposition. The fact that he was religious, she was religious, um, they had very similar political interests, so they just hit it off immediately. Uh, the bad thing about that is, uh, well, not not so bad, is that Madeline's family actually was a hu- had a huge political influence. Uh, they were civil workers. They were known very noteworthy in the community as civil ser- servants in particular. So, uh, but they also did not approve of Jim. They thought he was weird. And again, you know, I common. Mean, yeah. Right. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. Not at all. Yeah. So far, I mean, I just don't understand why people think he's a weird guy. You know, he's getting in the crevices and Absolutely. taking care of people. Sometimes I mean, like to sew random animal limbs onto a cat. Yeah. You know, put kids in a trap door. My put kids in a trap door. My kind of guy. I can't understand the reputation of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah. Uh, so actually, her family as well was like pretty close knit in the Methodist Church as well. So they Jim tried to work his way up through the Methodist Church. Much of what I read, at least, was the short of it is is like things weren't materializing quickly enough for him. Even though he did at first start a church with the Methodist Church, but he wasn't getting the numbers that he wanted. Right, um, his ambitions were yeah, and way he was higher. Like than... politically stifled by the Methodist Church because it's basically like a fr- like. Hey guys, here's some news. Religion's like franchising a fucking restaurant, <laughs> and it is. And anybody tells you differently is wrong. Right. And uh, if that incites you, then you're just ignorant. Right. Uh, when it comes bus- to there some is of a these business model to a church, right? Especially Absolutely. these major denominations. Right. Let's yeah. talk about the Catholic Church. Right. Let's talk about Methodists. Let's talk about Protestants. Fucking. Let's talk about the TV Evangelicals or whatever. Absolutely. Let's talk about Joel Steen. Let's talk Absolutely. about. You know what I mean. So there's a lot of politics that go into, you know, having a church, being approved to have your own church. Essentially, there's boards to a lot of these. Uh, essentially, there's boards to a lot of these different denominations. Right. So, like, for example, like, my family's pretty deep in with UPC, apostolic, that sort of stuff. There's literally a UPC board. Like, they didn't even start recently, like, allowing women preachers. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. It was not like... I mean, women could preach occasionally, but like it was very uncommon for a woman to be a preacher to have her certificate to be approved right, by the board and run a church. Right, yeah. and then then that was the next hurdle. It'd be one thing if you're traveling evangelical, but you know to actually be head of a church, and so right. those similar politics permeates all these major denominations. Right, and it's kind of trickled down over the years as some of these denominations have broken off and started their own practices and so on and so forth. What Jim decided to do it was essentially the fucking Elvis Presley go around and steal shit from black people. <laughs> so, you know, Jim started traveling to revivals, uh, a lot of evangelical events. And again, what I mentioned earlier, this was kind of the boom of the apostolic church right. and those teachings. 
And so he adopted many of their beliefs and practices and more so robbing of kind of the ceremony, the presentation, the charisma of the pastors, the acts that they would employ, like, you know, speaking in tongues, um, you know, uh, boisterous uh, responses, kind of call and respond stuff where you're amened uh, very loud and vocally, you know, involuntarily and so on and so forth. So Jim really liked that, the idolation of the pastors in the church, uh, how they were almost not his words, but I'll use them like rock stars by example, you know, so they drew attention, they commanded a crowd. And again, Jim was just so fascinated with anybody like that. Right. All right. We all know the struggle. You ask your friend to watch a movie, they won't watch it for whatever reason. It's ridiculous. It's an amazing movie. They're going to love it, but they just won't watch it. My name's Daniel King. I host a podcast called It's Just Two Movies. Every week we try to pick one good movie and then another movie that's got something in common with it that's so bad it's good. Sometimes we hit the mark, sometimes the bad movie is just bad. Uh, But we'll sort through them all for you and we'll have some drinks and laughs along the way. We also pepper in a little improv comedy just because we have fun doing it. Also, no shortage of dick and fart jokes here, so if that's not your crowd, maybe it wasn't meant to be. Come check us out anywhere podcasts are found, Spotify, Apple Music, Rapsory, iTunes, you know, where you know the places. Or check us out on social networks at It's Just Two Movies. All right. Cheers. A, a, a big major thing to, that also kind of got Jim and his wife together and a lot of his teachings was that everybody was created equal. And that, that doesn't seem controversial to most of us, or at least anybody with any damn sense today. But back then, it was controversial. We're talking right. about pre-1964 civil rights movement. Yeah, you're, so yeah. we are talking still segregated, regardless if you're in the South or the North. And Indiana in particular, where Jim was from, was actually the KKK headquarters was located there at the time. So a lot of people would think it'd be in the South. Right. Or like, you know, someplace like Alabama or whatever the case is, or Mississippi. Right. Not the case. You know, Indiana was actually a hotbed for KKK hmm. uh, activity and uh, their political affiliation. So it was, you know, people were still segregating places, and Jim was entirely against that. And so that was what kind of helped draw his wife to him, too, and was a part of their just straight-up platform. Jim also found that uh, his wife had like socialist beliefs. Again, very controversial at the time to be a socialist. Right. Obviously, coming off the heels of... Stuff like that. Yeah. You're coming off the heels of... Well, communism employs well, themes I mean, of socialism, but there's literally a socialist political movement separate of communism right, as well. Right, but what I'm saying during that time, anybody right. that held the socialist yes. ideology was considered yes. a communist. That sure. was a common label. Hey, it still it's, happens it's still, today. Right. I mean, yeah. I've been called a communist several times. Bernie but, Sanders was called a communist, right, you know, right. so on and so forth. Right. So. Not the case, folks, in case you didn't know. But we'll, <laughs> we'll get into we'll, that we'll, another we'll, day. We'll, 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 we'll pump the brakes on that one. Uh, but anywho, so they had uh, believed in the socialist construct politically. So not, they were movers and shakers in the world of religion. They were movers and shakers in the world of politics. Uh, Jim, it has to be mentioned as well, hooked up uh, very closely to whenever he founded the Pimples, People's Temple, what would be known as essentially as cult church so on and so forth, the, which will take up the rest and most of the discussion, is that he uh, ended up bumping into a very big inspiration for him, which is Father Divine, around 1955, whenever Jim Jones did 
officially established People's Temple in Indianapolis, Indiana. He took a lot of his structure from uh, Father Divine in particular. So Father Divine, just to give you a little uh, backstory on him, uh, he was very popular, controversial black evangelist at the time. He was the founder of the Peace Mission Movement, so that was kind of his version of his people's temple, if you will. It's cold. Right. Uh, born <laughs> sometime in the 1880s, Father Divine actually started a religious movie movement in the 1910s that drew huge numbers of worshipers who saw him actually as God. So he kind of started that talk, and this is a lot very similar to apostolic beliefs, that God's inside of you. That's the Holy Spirit taking yeah, the Holy over. Ghost or yeah. So this might this is an oversimplification. I think that's kind of really what what he was doing, and it was you know transcribed at the time as this. Right. They're kind of two separate things: is saying you're literally God, or that God's inside of you. From the religious, I guess, argumentative standpoint, deeper God. So he he was kind of start. He was kind of at the start of that, and he in in Raven in particular that we mentioned earlier in the book. It was said that a judge uh, suddenly died shortly after handing down a, a, this preacher to prison and sentenced as a public nuisance in particular. Not only did Father Divine do kind of these wacky things at the time, he had kind of a mob mentality in, in the back scenes. And it's, it's also believed that he killed people or 100%. had people killed. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, there's almost a criminal element to his absolutely following. Like, I mean, obviously mass murder and mass suicide is right. Right. But you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, mm-hmm. like and, I don't know a lot about Father Divine. I want to dig a little bit deeper. I think. Right. For this, yeah. Um, yeah. That'd be, that'd be cool. That. But didn't he actually convince everyone that he was God or he, yeah. Yeah, that's how he went? Well, that's that's definitely where Jones went eventually. Um, but he got that idea from Father Divine. Yeah, the other wild ass thing that took place with Father Divine is that his wife died. He's an older man. His wife was an older woman. She dies and he turns around and gets a 21 year old Canadian bride. <laughs> yeah. White, mind you. White bride. And... The, and his excuse is, is that his wife's spirit jumped into that body. So this is actually going to lay the groundwork for something that See, happens eventually I, here. I don't, uh, I don't get it, man. I don't, I don't understand how a follower doesn't hear this and go, "What the fuck?" It's, you know? it's uh, different times, and right. you, this, that, that's kind of a part of the cult mentality, the hive mentality too. It's like you're. We'll just say bred into this eventually. It's like it, it doesn't happen overnight. Right. You know, you're seven years deep in a church and then they say one wild thing. It's like, oh, we never had a problem in seven years. And they said this one thing. Oh, I'll overlook it this time. Right. You know? Right. It's right. kind of like that. And then and then that inch that you give somebody becomes a mile mentally or, or three miles, if you will. Yeah. So that's, again, getting well, back to bat Jim Jones. crazy, but they, they run the church. So whatever. Let them be batshit crazy. Absolutely. And kind of the very revealing thing I want to mention, too, I meant to mention this earlier whenever I talked about first knowing of Jamestown. It was never framed to me, at least anybody that ever told me about Jonestown, excuse me, that this actually was rooted in Christianity. Right, right. Like they, oh, it's a cult. Yes, it's true. But again, two things can be true at the same time. Right, right. This was rooted in Christianity. Right. So people don't want you to know that that's the case because they it, want to separate by, that you from get, that. You get the shit stank on you, right? Right, right. Kind of that phenomenon. Right. So anytime it was ever framed, especially in the media back then, and you know we can get into a discussion about media as well, but people, even liberal media outlets, would kind of 
tail that back, right? They wouldn't right. get into those contra- controversial attacks on Christianity in most respects. So, um, but back to Father Divine and his wife jumping spirits. So, Father Divine <laughs> uh, laid the groundwork for some inspirations that later we'll see in Jones and his own relationships. Uh, another interesting thing is that Jones actually employed his wife to attend many community meeting, meetings such as town halls and political rallies and things of that ilk, essentially employing her as a spy. And she would just kind of go in and take detailed notes as far as who the prominent people were in the city or in those meetings or those organizations so that Jim could follow up the next week or the week after and come into these meetings and basically just hold court and take over the meetings and talk to all the actual decision makers and get things done and not even waste his time on the fucking piss ants. Again, the intelligence. Yeah. I mean. Master manipulation. Right. And this this is a young Jim Jones doing this, so we're probably talking, he's born in 31, um, 55, so we're talking like a 25-year-old Jim Jones approximately, maybe a little bit older, um, that's actually making these decisions, being this, I guess, conniving in some respects, you know, but well after Jim opened his uh, own church, actually, it's important for us to mention that Jim actually made it a point to actually have his churches in the inner city area as well. And that kind of helped combat some of the racial type stuff again to desegregate the churches. And he would really like start to eavesdrop on people as services started to listen to their conversations, to see what they talked about, but like out of their notice of him. So like, let's say you and Ridge are having a conversation across the room and I just happen to stand in the corner, pretend like I'm talking to somebody else, but I just listen to what your guys right. are talking about. Right. 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 And you happen to tell Ridge, well, uh, lately my eyesight's been getting so bad. I can't see anymore. This, this exact same thing happened inside of his church right. where he went up to the pulpit after the fact, he being Jim Jones and would say, I hear there's a Sally in the crowd tonight. And you have, you're starting to lose your vision and she'd look around and, oh my God, come to the front and you're already wowed right. that much. You're going to get caught up in the spirit of it. Right. Take your glasses off, Sally. You can see so much better. And like, you know, he, and then Jones would have plants throughout the crowd and we'll get to this as well too, to kind of aid along the behavior. So like maybe like his secretary, for example, would go in and, and walk up to people and say things. Right. So like. This would progress into like this seems relatively innocent to start, but then this starts progressing into some like weird shit. Like, right, people that have cancer come to right. and talk about vulnerability of people. Absolutely, right? you know what I mean. Like, so people that you know, and this is like people first understanding cancer and that sort of stuff too. And again, you have to consider the times. They're coming to the church probably because they have nowhere else to turn. Let's let's start there. So they're looking f- to believe in something, right, to give them some hope. So what would happen is, is they call him up to the front with the cancer and like one of his secretaries would come up next to them, like dressed as a nurse and have like chicken livers in their hands and like shove it in their mouths. So they would spit it out. And then they, they would say that that was them extracting the cancer from their oh body. God, dude. And so everybody Special saw effects, the, vis- everybody saw the visitable, even if it wasn't true and the person would want to rebut it, not to say that this actually happened, but I'm just saying, let's talk about it from a psychological practicality standpoint. Right. Like, you couldn't, like, everybody already saw it, the word caught fire, the whole place is freaking out, moods are elevated, people are like, oh my god, he's healing people, right. so on and so forth. So, like, you know, everybody's getting caught up in the spirit of the event and stuff. And it's not like, you know, again, we're talking about a time that not everybody has cell phones and shit, like, everything's literally world of mouth. 
word of mouth. You might not even have your own phone in your home. Right. You know, as crazy as that sounds, you know, this is right. like relatively you had to call before the operator TVs. to get 911, that right. kind of situation. Absolutely. So all of these seeds he's starting to sow are, are really starting to affect his influence over people, obviously. And another thing, interesting fact to consider as well, kind of to get back into the de- lean back into the desegregation, desegregation stuff and uh, into socialism as well, is that Jim and Marceline actually were the very first couple in Indiana's history to adopt a black kid. That's wild. I didn't Ever. know that. 1961. Yeah. That's crazy. Jim Jones Jr. is who they adopted in 1961. And then they would later go on to actually adopt a Native American child as well as a Korean child, too. So they had five kids in all, three minorities. One of the two left over, we'll say, is a biological son, Stephen. And then they had an older daughter, which is actually the first person that they adopted, a white girl. So that's like he has five kids in his home. But also what Jim Jones starts to do, I detail that to let you know this, he starts moving in old people into his house because he's convincing those old people in his church to sell their homes, give all their assets to the church, and he'll take care of them, which he does. He does. But the house becomes too small. Then they have to start opening their own institutions. So like Jim was actually like running a fucking racket. Like eventually it developed out into old folks' homes. He had orphanages. He had soup kitchens. They had a laundromat eventually. Like I think they even had a car wash at some point. Just like it, it's crazy, like the enterprises that they ended up getting into. He's making that money. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. It's like if he didn't have that evil inside of his head, like he could have been a very successful person. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. And I think that there, there really was uh, – I think he had, well, no, it's not even thinking, it's a fact. He had political aspirations. Like, he ran for mayor. Uh, it was said that he wanted to run for governor as well. He had political, op- uh, you know, and, 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 and the two things went hand in hand, very much like a Hitler in the sense that, like, he had these certain ideologies outside of the realm of politics, got infused into politics, if you will, right. became their national platform. Like, Jim Jones was, like, literally trying to be Hitler again. There's without question exactly what he was trying to orchestrate. Right. When it when you know all the details, and that's something that escaped my childhood as well. Like I didn't really know that at the time, and it was really telling. You know, in this research, you know, you heard he was fascinated with Hitler, and you just assume that you know a lot of crazy. You hear that about a lot of crazy people. You know. Right. In his over history, back into kind of the diversity of people's temple. One can suspect that the groundwork that we've laid so far, that the People's Temple was often branded as a cult. But again, we're trying to de- detail like how this started off innocently and, and, and just as any other church in many respects. You know, the people there, they blindly devoted their allegiances to the man and the cause and often at the expense of their own selves. It wasn't uncommon for people in the church to work like 22-hour days, 23-hour days. And it really became, you know, once you subscribe to socialism in many respects, things start to become about what what you do in the machine. And that's what your worth is, not how much money you have, not anything of that. It's your impact on... It's the work that you do. Right. So this, like, became, like, a a thing of one-upsmanship. Like, you know, it kind of started out with, like, eight-hour days, and then how much in 10, and then 12, and then 13, 16. I've been here six days, motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what would happen, where they would go on these day stretches, then two of so many hours a day. So it kind of became a braggadocious thing inside the church, outside of just the the symbolism and your status inside the church as well. 
Um, the church was also obviously known for its very progressive and idealist activism. So, you know, desegregation, we talked about that. So what Jim would actually do is he would actually go around intimidating, negotiating, uh, campaigning, just anything to local businesses. And the idea there was to desegregate the business, to accept members of his community. And a lot of what Jim targeted, too, we talked about moving in the inner city, was poor black people in his church. Like, he would allow poor black people to come to this church. Right. And during, and during the time, again, yeah. speaking no of the time. No other church was. Right. Let's, let's Se- make that segregation clear. Segregation and everything else, right. Like, especially in his town, like, he was of the first to do it. You know, he was doing this, and then he would turn around and try and make these uh, arrangements with businesses. Okay, well, you're going to serve our kind here, and we're going to sell the place out. And so, like, he would, like, literally go in, do a sit-in. He'd be, like, the only white person or him and his wife or him and some of his family members would go in and do a sit-in in a restaurant and bring all black people there. The church would pay for everybody's meals. You know, it's a win-win for everybody. The business gets the business, and you're using the church funds that you literally said that you would use to take care of everybody, right? Right. Everybody's getting a meal. Right. right. Everybody's getting a meal, so on and so forth. And that's literally, you know, again, you can see these early machinations of, like, good things happening. Like he and and another thing that he would do that was really intelligent that's going to reveal how smart this motherfucker actually was, he would take people into restaurants on off hours like three p.m. So like kind of a big restaurant, you know, you get your lunch rush and your dinner's rush. There's always a lull right there in the middle, and that's about the three p.m. mark. Right. And he would literally take his whole congregation in at three p.m. sell the business out on every day on, on right, a when he was time. pushing one on yeah. a long time. So they would maximize the business's profits because even if they were still dealing with like lingering racism where white people didn't want to eat with black people, they could come during the prime hours and it didn't right. affect it, their schedule. It didn't affect business. But the people's Quite temple members abided to Jim Jones's schedule, right. mind you. Now that's not to say that there wasn't people of a working class that went to the church. There were. There were people that had jobs outside the church, especially in its early goings. People outside the church were essentially at first expected to donate 10% of their tithes. Then that jumped to 20 or 25%. Then that jumped to 50. And I believe it jumped to 70 and then ultimately ended up at like 90%. 90% yes. of your income's got to go to the church. Especially if he was housing you and you worked. So if he's providing housing. This again kind of created a reliance of people on Jim Jones specifically, further removing them from society. And there Sounds would be like, uh, crazies, uh, uh, recruiting crazies, the more, right. more we dig into. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Another thing Jim was kind of doing at the time and it was being well known in the community for and how he would actually recruit a lot of church members is he was a fucking door to door pet monkey salesman. He actually went around and sold pet mon- monkeys to fucking people. <laughs> and there's a hilarious story in the PBS documentary in particular where there's an elderly woman that tells how she became a member of the People's Temple Church, and she actually details what got her to come to church is because her mother's pet monkey hung itself, oh hanged my itself, God. Whoa, inside, no yeah, on in the leash. house, and that's the whole reason that he wanted to buy another. That she wanted to buy another monkey, so that in turn made the daughter go to church. So the and mon- become a member. The monkey even knew some shit was up, dude. And yeah, he was like, "Fuck it, I'm out, dude." I can't he knew that this. those 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 <laughs> evil storm clouds were rolling in. And he's, he's like, "Fucking hung himself." I don't, I don't want nothing to do with this. He really yeah. liked monkeys because they yeah. swords. Well, yeah, we're going to get to it, but uh, <laughs> there's a very interesting mascot for the temple as well. Jim Jones is just like a very a, extravagant character in many respects as well. 
Um, now you got to keep in mind too. A lot of people see Jim Jones and the kind of the iconic images are like the red suits or I mean Dickie's tuxedo type look, and he's got sunglasses on. The like aviator, this is this like, is pre sunglasses Jim Jones like too. The, so the aviator pilot type glass gold right, frame right, glasses. Right. Sideburns. Absolutely. And those epic sideburns and that epic side comb. Uh but uh Jim Jones uh he started manipulating people too in his church in, in along with his uh showmanship I mentioned earlier with the healings. We had we, we had some value but now we don't have any value. Well I don't see it like that. I mean I feel like that as long as his life is hope. That's my faith. Well some everybody dies. Someplace that hope runs out because everybody dies. I haven't seen anybody yet didn't die. And I like to choose my own kind of death for a change. I'm tired of being tormented to hell. That's what I'm tired of. Tired of it. Twelve hundred people's lives in my hands, and I certainly don't want your life in my hand. But I'm going to tell you, Christine, without me, life has no meaning. I'm the best friend you'll ever have. I'll get back, you know, people working. So, like, if he found, if Jim Jones found out, and this is where kind of some of the dark seeds start to sow in, is if he found out somebody in the church that was an active member, if you will. Now, we're not talking about casual visitors, that sort of stuff. He was very good about compartmentalizing many atrocities inside of the church, like to his inner circle, people that had been there for the longest time. And we'll get into, like, some of those more specifically, but... If somebody in the church, for example, went out and saw a movie or they dated somebody that they weren't allowed to date in the church, like all dating the folks had to be approved and that sort of thing. Or let's say they bought a new shirt. Originally, it started with like fines and lighthearted stuff, but then it turned into like public humiliation. So like they would have a meeting at church and they'd bring somebody up and they would like dress them down in front of everybody, like verbally. Never and got to the point of lashes, lashings or oh, anything. Oh, we're getting yeah. there, buddy. We're getting there. And we've <laughs> You'll got find out. many good stories <laughs> there. It, it kind of started there. And, and, and most of it always ended with like people hugging each other and I saying I love you and that sort of stuff. So it was kind of healing in many ways, it, although confrontational and, and not necessarily ideal. But And that's kind of how it started. Jim started to get a little bit more liberal with some of his teachings and some of his beliefs. So... One thing, you know, initially, and it was very common at the time, we're in the middle of Cold War, World War II, fallout, if you will, Korean War, so on and so forth, is all about this time. Uh, Jim Jones starts to be very anti-Russia initially. Right. He's very anti-Russia. Everybody in the United States is anti-Russia. Especially now, I mean. Yeah, well, and and at this time in particular as well. Right. This is heavy USSR. Oh, yeah. Da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to mention that now because we're we're also going to later on kind of address some of the Russia stuff. And we mentioned in the open of the show, too, that we were going to be infusing clips from the death tapes. I want to mention this now, too. You can listen to the death tapes. There's a FBI. I mentioned earlier, you can get on the FBI. You can listen to it from start to finish. Ours is not in its entirety. It's 50 minutes long. It's just little clips we're going to be dropping in here and there. So keep your ears peeled. But I want to allude to on the death tapes in particular. There is a mention of Russia and them escaping to Russia, which we'll address kind of chronologically. But you're going to see how Jim's feelings about Russia change. But it's also important to kind of realize where you are in the timeline and events in history that we're about to lay out here, too. More crazy things started happening in the church beyond that. We already mentioned earlier that he talked to old people into selling their homes, but then this like went beyond old people, you know, again, the working class people and that sort of stuff. So that that created, you know, a need for housing beyond a lot of other shit that started happening, too, 
is that he was offered $5,000 to sleep with a woman. Uh, and so uh, like publicly and Jim went ahead and took advantage of that, um, and said he was doing it for the church. So, well, why not? I'd do so, it for the church. Five grand. <laughs> I'd do it for the five grand brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't got to mix church into this. Five I'll just take the five, five grand. grand man. And another thing too, he started to stage fake assassination attempts. So like his first fake assassination attempt, I believe it was like right outside of his house. And he had, you know, you've seen some of these older houses where they have like the columns on the front yeah. porch for yeah. like the overhang if you will. And typically there's like a second level balcony perhaps that like it protrudes out. He stepped out on his porch and shot back at his house with a gun and got a bullet lodged in there, laid on the ground and acted like somebody shot at him until people came up to him. Oh my God. <laughs> and you know, he was unfazed because, and then this is where it starts. Do you still have the gun in his hand? I, no, not okay, when he was found, but, yeah. No, this is where he starts to like give people the impression that he's God. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. And he and he starts to infuse in his messages, so he starts like cursing in his messages, which is like people find very unusual for the times and everything. Right. But you know, everybody's behind it. You know, he's not getting any resistance on that that sort of thing. And even like he would even in some of his sermons be like, "Say fuck." And everybody like, fuck! And then like, say fuck again! <laughs> fuck, fuck yeah, baby! Like, there's actually tapings of some of his sermons. Like, you can hear, like, he's, like, cursing left and right. Right. But he was very uh, much a chameleon, a social chameleon, in the sense that he would reposition his conversation and what he would say, depending on what crowd he was in front of right. at the time. So, he like, was adaptive. He would, like, for example, again, socialism is a touchy subject in the public at this time. If he was out to recruiting people... He might give a message about God, you know, especially if he was like in a rural area. Right. His message would be strictly about God and not mention anything about his socialist beliefs. On the flip side, if he was like to a more densely populated city, like near a university, something like that, wasn't uncommon for him to infuse a little bit of that socialism talk and play, that would get over politics, a little bit more so. Right. right. He had to start to learn that over the time. So this started to fine tune his ability to like read people, read crowds, you know, so on and so forth. So... This kind of gets into that maniacal nature of him a little bit more so and his ability to manipulate people. Jones, too, I mentioned, took the money from the lady. I don't know if explicitly mentioned this, but he said he was investing that back into an orphanage. Yeah. An orphanage, right? Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. So, like, he tried to, like, say exactly where the money went. Now, to have a paper trail. You got to think that, uh, let's, let's talk on this, too. He's having people sell their homes. You know, and elderly in particular. So it's not uncommon for an older person to be in a home for a long time. Maybe procured a little bit of property, particularly if there are earlier settlers at this time. We're talking turn of the century, mid-century. Right. Um, so these are probably, for the time, relatively decent chunk of change houses, you know. So you're talking like maybe in today's market by inflation, a house that's like one hundred thirty to $160,000. So the church gets one, let's say the church gets that per person that they're taking care of. So the, the bank account starts stacking up. Yeah. So he starts getting a little bit of power behind him financially as well to do things. As a part of that, Jim Jones, too, eventually invests in getting like greyhounds that are sold on the cheap. So he can actually try like travel with his people and go to events and stage events, especially as they move into the more compound phases of the church. So Jim builds up his church. I think it's like almost like seven, six, seven hundred people at this time. 
He's getting a lot of notoriety, like I mentioned earlier. You know, people are starting to recognize him from the fake assassination attempts, his public healings, uh, all the good that he's doing in the community, desegregating people, so on and so forth. So he's kind of living large at this time. So Jim gets, and we know that Jim's obsessed with death already, he gets a subscription to Esquire. And coincidentally, it's not a subscription to, it's the same Esquire that we read today yeah. uh, that very commonly has celebrities on the cover now. Esquire at this time did an article on safest places from nuclear holocaust, essentially, because there's a lot of nuclear threat with the Cold War, obviously. Right. And being fresh off the heels of dropping bombs off of, you know, just 10 years prior plus, you know, in Japan. Right. Jim gets really fascinated with this. So the actually what's often missed in the Jim Jones story is before he moves out to California and makes this huge compound... Uh, Jim Jones actually goes to Brazil for two years and is on the lamb essentially yeah. with his family, which coincidentally is another place that was supposed to have from nuclear refuge. Uh, so Bryn's, he's fucking off with his family down there, like literally. <laughs> too. Oh, right. One thing I failed to mention too, that the, the more nefarious things, and this is a big detail, so pardon me for not mentioning this earlier. Jim starts fucking all kinds of women in his church too. Like, for God. And then, for God. Right. And that's a common theme. And with fucking too. men as well. Yeah. He is doing it. it it's a twofold thing. And it, they, they, they end up becoming the same thing eventually. So at first, Jim says he's doing it for God, but he also is doing it for his own release. Well, Jim starts talking about how he doesn't believe in the fake sky God, that God's in all of us. So he starts adopting some of that Father Divine talk that we had earlier. So Jim starts identifying himself as God as well in the midst of all this. And the people are fucking buying it. They're sticking with it. Oh, they're into it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then hey, is it how, how big of a compliment that you're getting fucking railed by God, you know? Right. right. All right. Take so, me to the back, God. So, yeah, yeah, everybody's down for it. Fuck and yeah. something that's really fucking hilarious that happens in the PBS documentary, I believe it is, on Jonestown, is that a black man is interviewed and he didn't know anything about you know, the sex that Jim Jones was having with everybody. So they're having a meeting at church. So what happens is the associate pastor gets up behind the pulpit and he gets up and he says, Hey guys, listen tonight, if anybody wants father to fuck him in the ass, make sure you do your douche your ass. And this guy is like looking around and he's like, are is everybody in here getting fucked in the ass? And like over half the people are like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. We'll make sure we do our asses for father. <laughs> and he's like, what? And then on a later occasion, Jim Jones actually comes up to this same gentleman, puts his hand on his shoulder and says, how you doing, son? He's like, oh, good father, good father. He goes, need father fuck you in the ass? And he's like, uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> well, if you need it, I'm here. Yeah. Okay, if you need it, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here for you, buddy. So like, this is kind of like a lot of people's discovery until a certain point. It's just like out in the open. Right. Like it's, it's common knowledge. I mean, right. you got a thousand people plus in your church at any given point, like, and eventually actually Jim Jones and uh, Jonestown, it ends at 7,000. But uh, as far as total congregation, you know, you ain't going to be able to keep a secret. No, but no. 7,000 people in no. any type of institution. And if anybody's been to church, you know how the church is. So, oh yeah. Very gossipy. Jim Jones comes back from Brazil. And the reason that he comes back from Brazil is because JFK gets assassinated. And he thinks that's a sign that he needs to return home. Yeah. 
And well, he is. He is. He is yeah. God. So you know, he, he needs to be. And again, the Cuban Missile Crisis and right. Russia being in bed with Cuba and supporting them, so right. on and so forth. And right. there was a lot of rumors and considerations. Again, all the way back to our conspiracies episode, where we talk about that. You know, Russia might have been behind the assassination on JFK. So, like, he just freaks out. He goes back. Whenever he gets back, Jim, this is like Jim's first big defeat. Like, he freaks the fuck out because his church is totally devastated. He left his church in his hands of his associate pastors. The church flaked off, broke off. Some people left, went here, went there, so on and so forth. I think he comes back and it's like below the hundreds whenever it was in the multi hundreds previously when he left. So, it's totally in fucking shambles. So this, he just like freaks out. So Jim starts like cranking up, you know, his aggression and kind of some of his tactics. So then he starts instilling in people fear. If we don't move from Indiana to California, the safe haven uh, away from and Ukiah essentially is where they ultimately land. But I think the article uh, was for Eureka, California in particular, but Northern California. Yeah. And the theory was that it was like upwind from the Sierra Mountains. So like you know, if there was going to be nuclear contamination, that that wouldn't affect that area in particular. Right. It was a safe haven. They're blocked, you right? Right. He t- basically prophesied that there's going to be a nuclear attack. It's going to affect in, in the United States and we have to move out to California. So him and about 60 some odd people essentially go out to California. And then he starts to grow the church there. Also, at some point, Jim comes back over to the East Coast on one of his trips, his sabbaticals, once he procures these buses I mentioned earlier and he's, when he's in California. And he even takes like an empty bus thinking he's going to snipe out all these people from Father Divine's church. <laughs> I'm going to sign all these rookies. Right. Father <laughs> Divine dies. His twenty, his previously mentioned 21-year-old wife, and now I think it's like seven years later, so she's upper 20s, right. uh, is now running the church. And she's the boss lady which is, again, highly unusual and un- uncommon for the time. Jim comes to the church and tries to poach the members. And Jim plays the old catch-22. He shows up and says, Father Divine jumps spirits into his body. Oh, so now he's Father Divine. He's so Father now Divine. he's Father Divine. Yeah. And if you remember, Father Divine was God. Right. So now Jim is not only Father Divine, but he's also God. He's everything. Right. <laughs> He's the Holy Trinity. He's Jim Jones. All He's you Father need. Divine. And this is where the Holy Trinity came from, folks. Right. If you didn't believe it, now now here it is. Right. Yeah. Here's your Trinity, baby. <laughs> so uh, Jim, it's it's a failure of a trip. Now he did end up poaching a little over fifty. I think it was like sixty something people from the church, maybe as many as ninety. It's definitely under a hundred, and bringing them back. But it's not the success that he thought it was going to be. So he's got all people fucking stacked in this, in these greyhounds, like sardine cans coming back still yet, though, because they would try to take the most efficient trips. Jim got so big going back to his administrative tasks and his responsibilities and his skills like Jim was so good at his like he was literally running every facet of the organization, all the businesses. He was doing all the administrative work. He was booking the buses to travel to his rallies and to his demonstrations and so on and so forth. And he was getting a lot of recognition politically too out on the West coast. So like he actually started to have political people in his corner as well. And it became very beneficial to politics because they could call up Jim Jones and Jim Jones could bring a bus of 700 people to political events. Right. So, and when you have that influence over that many votes, that's, you know, right. That's big. It it can can swing, especially you're talking municipal 
elections and things of right. that ilk. Right. Every vote counts in those situations. Right. Not only was he and all of his people now members, now he was recruiting people in the area. So Jim changed his focus, his recruitment from poor black people, quite frankly, to more middle-class white people trying to bring them in, as well as younger people. Being out on the West Coast, there was a lot of people there essentially for socio or economical refuge in many respects. Big hippie movement out there. A lot of left-leaning politics started to blow up out there. Right. The homosexual uh, movement in San Francisco. Right. Stuff exactly like that. right. So like Harvey Milk, for example, right. openly, one of the first openly gay politicians running for office, assassinated. Harvey Milk was even being courted by People's Temple at one point, even though they didn't publicly, you know, support homosexuality, which is funny because the pastor's fucking all these dudes in the ass, mind right, you. Right, right. But it's wrong. But yeah. And so that's going to lead me to another interesting point is some of the, you know, beliefs that he started to adopt as well. And that's that Jim Jones just started saying that everybody was homosexual uh, and uh, any or uh, everybody was homosexual in the church and anything else was just a front. That they were just covering yeah. it up. And he was the only straight man in the world. You want me to fuck you. That's what he's saying up there. He gets up there in front of the congregation. He's looking ball in the eye. It's real quiet. Right. You want me to fuck you. Who does God want tonight? <laughs> and this jumps down the timeline a little bit. But, you know, like Jim actually gets like, like his appetite for like butt fucking is just not satiated in his church walls anymore. Like eventually, like he gets caught lewd sex acts, which is kind of oh, toward God. his paranoia that he has to eventually spur them moving. But, you know, down to Guyana, Jim gets caught fucking some dude in a theater in L.A. in particular, a movie <laughs> theater. The cop was like, it was said that the cop was totally pissed off about it because he had such political influence that he was not actually tried for having been caught. And the police officer was fucking outraged. And this is, of course, you talk, you think homo- homophobia was bad in the 90s? Let's go back to the 1970s when this took place. Oh, yeah. You know, it was just as rampant, if not more so. It was way more, like, there were not laws protecting homosexual people. There were not uh, political organizations protecting homosexual people. So, like, it doesn't have the support that it does today. It wasn't even viewed as a right to be gay, unfortunately. Talked kind of in detail about some of his homosexual activities. Well, Jim Jones was bi, obviously. Right. He went kind of both ways. Another thing he started to kind of get a little bit with his church people sideways with was it come to find out he started to develop and get more paranoid and he kind of created this inner committee, the planning committee, if you will. And even when his churches was in the, the thousand range, it was kind of his, exactly right. <laughs> he created his own SS, which this is his more tight knit heart of the community, the church inside right. the church, if you will. Right. You know, these, this is where he really played. You know, his, he actually had his own personal secretary. Like things got fucked up with his wife at some point too, where he couldn't fuck his wife. Like she had bad back ailment of some sort. His secretary in his church, who he actually used as a plant many times in the audiences to pretend that she was like crippled in a wheelchair. And then he brings and, her up and heals her. Yeah, he her. brings her up and heals right. her and she runs and starts dancing around. Like there's famous footage of this. Like that's literally his secretary that's in that footage that gets up and starts running around circles and running up and down the aisle and flailing her hands around. Like she was in love with Jim Jones and she was ugly as shit. He was yeah. not interested <laughs> whatsoever. With her. But his excuse for not fucking her was, and this is like his most loyal person, which eventually he has a second secretary who's just as loyal down the road. But like his reason for fucking her was that she was essentially too good and that she got to be in charge of his personal fuck schedule. <laughs> so she selected, scouted, managed, and scheduled the talent for him to fuck Jesus. inside 
this inner circle of people. Yeah. All the girls. She was the girl pimp. She was kind of the the Moolah or the Mae Young. Or the, which one of the old lady wrestlers was the pimp? I think it was Moolah. She's kind of the Moolah of uh, professional wrestling yeah. uh, in, in religion, if you will. She's pimping out the talent to people. <laughs> There's a couple other interesting facts I, I don't want to you know pass by too bad as well. A part of this planning commission as well is he's, this was a closed-door meeting session. So he started locking up the doors, and they're like new rules started getting enforced. You can't leave the meeting. The meetings go on for three, four hours sometimes, no bathroom breaks. You couldn't sit down. If you did sit down, it had to be on the bare floor. You had to stand. So, like, his intent was to make everybody uncomfortable. Right. And Jim, you know, they kind of started out somewhat, I guess, yeah, comprehensive in some respects, cognitive, but then they started getting like weird and ranty at times. Jim eventually came to despise his own rules that he couldn't go to the bathroom as well. He had like a piss bucket essentially set up inside of his pulpit. During these meetings, he would just like be like mid like, and God's going to come down and (laughs) into like a fucking galvanized pail behind the pulpit. And people just went with it. Like, they didn't think it was that odd. Well, this man is God, so... Right. You know. Absolutely. So if he wants to piss while he's talking to you... He's going to fucking piss while he's talking to you. And that progressed into, like, it was known that some guy, like, passed out and pissed himself, too, at the meetings. A lot of shit happened with people that couldn't, you know, withstand the marathon meetings. And that's psychological. He knew exactly what he was doing. And then it started to turn into, like, he started doing this weird random shit, like, he had everybody prepare statements about him fucking them. And read him in the planning commission, like how great of a lover he was, how well endowed he was, uh, how much pleasure he provided to them wanna, in their sessions. I'm going to do this with my wife. I'm going to be like, I'm going to need an 800 word essay about how good this dick was last night. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to grade yeah. that motherfucker. So great. Next episode, and folks, then you'll die. Our, <laughs> we'll actually be all of our spouses on here and they're going to be reading about our sexual conquests. <laughs> So uh, next episode of ATI Pod, our wives are going to be reading about our sexual conquest. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. We're, we're committing. We appreciate you. <laughs> this is Barrett from the ATI Podcast. Each week, Josh and I discuss current events, pop culture, music, TV, movies, politics, sports. Nothing is out of bounds. You can also tune in to learn about rising artists, small businesses, whether it's music, graphic design, filmmaking, or even a brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop shop, we will be spotlighting folks in their endeavors. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Anchor, or anywhere you enjoy your podcast. Just search ATI Podcast. We would like to thank you for your continued support, and as always, please... Stay safe out there. Another kind of crazy thing that started to happen inside the temple too, in these closed door meetings, like they started to elevate into these. So I talked about earlier, the humiliation meetings that they would have where they bring somebody up who did something to infract the community. Well, then this started to turn into them, like literally making people derobe. So like take off articles of clothing until they were stark naked in front of the entire church. And so they get stark naked in front of the entire church and people would start to pick apart their body and be very like, you know, shame them, like cellulite, this, shaming, yeah, right, that right. sort of shit. Or laughing names, at them, right. just like what, you know, anything and everything under right. the sun. Right. 
well, Jim Jones, it was also rumored that at certain points he actually became very turned on by these events. And the apparatus that he had, it's not a far stretch to believe that perhaps he was wanking one in the, the spit can behind there because it was said that he would have a very maniacal look about him and he would look down at the edge of his nose and his glasses would start to slip down, you know, kind of like that college professor that was like tired of your shit right? sort of thing and look over the pulpit and even like kind of grunt and his shoulders and <laughs> lean over. So he's kind of giving everyone those into the microphone. Yeah. Another interesting thing too is like they like to record everything. There's like tons of recordings, even stateside of Jim Jones, like giving his sermons and everything. And, and again, you can see over time how they progressed and turned into like less believable, you know, sermons, you know. He had like a trading card thing or like a picture of himself that he would give to people. Yes. And everything. Yeah. He actually had a picture of himself, too. And they, and they would sign it. And then eventually, like in California, this was a part of their revenue making. They would go to events and they would make seven thousand dollars alone on just. Selling, selling his cards, selling cards to right. people. I bet you, and like, even no taxes. Though, they got tax exempt status. You know, they're a church so right. and so forth. I Speaking bet. Of which tax all the fucking churches. Yeah, that's 100%. another bullshit subject we could talk about. But I bet you those are still worth quite a bit of money today. I guarantee, if you have an original one, especially in good condition, who knows what I'm something like that would go look for. That up. Another thing that he, Jim Jones started to flip on about this time was his position on Russia. Now he started preaching about Russia being a safe haven for socialism and so on and so forth. And that they were going to come and save everyone and so on and so forth or could or that they could be a safe haven in the event that things get too shitty in the United States in particular. Jim really just he you could kind of start to see the cracks like he was doing too much. But what he did do is he finally started to staff people inside the church, one of which was a cat named Tim Stone, which kind of became like his czar, if you will, in many respects. That's going to kind of come back to bite him in the ass later, but Tim Stone in particular is a very powerful, prominent attorney uh, and his wife, Grace, and they started like being kind of some top officials inside the church and protected Jim Jones politically and legally, quite frankly, in many, in many instances. And a lot of people that lended to his credibility even more. And so about this time too, there was some press that they were starting to get and a writer had teased that he had an eight part series that he was going to roll out. That was very damning of the church. And it was, it turned out to be very fucking pussycat mild and actually very complimentary of the church. And they even canceled the paper and even canceled it halfway through the series run because it was just like, it was absolutely nothing. They didn't reveal anything. There was nothing, you know, that the reporter found. So this actually kind of helped boost him and his ego. And it kind of also made him feel a little bit more invulnerable in many respects. And so that was another really fucked up thing. Um, Another thing, so Jim Jones's church started getting big. So, like, he's, I mentioned earlier, he started somewhere in the 60s whenever he got, ended up uh, starting the People's Temple Church. By the end of the, and, uh, excuse me, 66 in particular, his count uh, was 86 members. In the end of the 60s, he had 500 members. Whenever he got caught wanking it or whatever he was doing with whomever in the <laughs> movie theater, they had 3,000 members there in California. So this is before That's even crazy. including the Jonestown stuff that ultimately happened in 1978. So the church size grows and grows. He's got more people behind him. He's got more people with college educations, as I mentioned. Where he was kind of doing some of his recruiting earlier. People he, with really good careers. People with like, good careers. Pro prominent members of, of the community. Members right. of the press. 
right. uh, politicians. He really started to bankroll people of certain social statuses also. To get back kind of into some of the crazy things, too, about this time he started doing. So, like, he started doing fake poisonings. So he, like, for example, on the compound, one of the things that he did, which they weren't allowed to drink, is one night he said he was going to reward everybody, and they were actually forming grapes out in California as one of their enterprises. And he said, we're going to make some, and make this wine, and we're going to all drink it. So he did in one of these PC meetings. And then after everybody drank, he told them that they drank poison. He actually had one of his secretaries stage a like dying convulsion freak out episode type thing too because he was trying to goat people inside the church this is how like deep his paranoia started to get he tried to goat people inside the church to act out so he could weed them out like his vetting process inside the church just is a general uh, attendance a, a attendee of the church and then even into that layer of the church with inside the church you know the planning committee his vetting processes started getting more and more steep he also like started employing like his own armed guard and things of that ilk. That really ramped up with his sake, second fake assassination attempt in California, where he had been strolling the compound outside the compound and somebody shot at him. And this is where famously the nurse said that she was able to stick her finger inside of his body and pull the bullet out, but there was no sign of a bullet wound or damage on his shirt. Yeah, there was no wound. So yeah. the word got out about this event and that he was staying, and again, to get back into his deity and his godlike powers, if you will, uh, status. Word started to get out about this. The sheriff's department finds out about it, so they want to investigate, so they ask him for the shirt. Well, the shirt magically goes disappeared. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah. So now they can't find the shirt. So again, you know, Jones was very cunning in many respects, avoiding law enforcement, avoiding media. He like really had his ducks in a row and you could start to see like these more nefarious things starting to take place. So another of the kooky things that Jim Jones started to do as well that we got to hit on before we start moving out of the States is that he started keeping extensive notes on all of his members in the congregation as well. So like they had like kind of a Dewey decibel system for fucking rats like you know people were like he even employed people members of the church spies to actually keep extensive extensive notes on all of its members and he literally filed them away so that he could use that information later if they tried to defect from the church blackmail them or whatever the case is which i'm going to tell an example once we get down to jonestown of where this information kind of came into hand uh, another thing that he did as well, uh, outside of just keeping the notes, um, he started to like really handle their own issues inside the church, like regardless of whether they were a legal matter or not. So like there was a member who got caught being a pedophile and they ended up like taking him into an interrogation room and setting his junk up on a table and just beating it with a rubber hose until God, it was unrecognizable. Damn. Like the motherfucker just like got his genitalia like pounded like by a rubber hose. So they started employing like kind of torture tactics for some of the things that people were doing. He would have boxing matches inside the church. He would have like a 15-year-old boy box a 60-year-old woman for infracting things inside the church. Like, and it was like... The person had to fight until they lost, too. So if he did get a good fighter in there, like he'd make them fight multiple people throughout the night until they dropped dead, essentially. 
Jesus. Out of exhaustion. So like you got like crazier and crazier and crazier with the punishments. It would have been really cool if it was like the top, you got, had to make it all the way to the top boss. Right. Jim Jones. You get to <laughs> yeah. fight Jim Jones. If you defeat me, you fight Final God. Boss. <laughs> and, uh, you can't defeat God. <laughs> Needless to say, Jim Jones never had to fight anybody. And of course we would know the reasons why. So like, it's not that he wasn't like relatively younger or anything, which actually a lot of people don't realize this. He was just like in his upper forties whenever the all the shit went down on the infamous day, if you will. So like he was like able-bodied in many respects, but of course, if he would actually lose a fight publicly, that would totally take away from his entire, you know, gimmick. You know, he wouldn't lord over people in the same way. He wouldn't be as powerful as he was. He certainly wouldn't be God in many people's eyes. You know, God should be able to do whatever to whomever in those respects. So I was just thinking about Jim Jones. He just has So Jim, too, to stay on top of all this craziness going on inside the church and everything that he started to do, starts taking amphetamines to stay up uh, with the times and God, his events. This guy is a modern schedule. Hitler, dude. I'm just convinced, man. Yeah. He's a modern just... Hitler. <laughs> you take someone like that, all this crazy, puts some amphetamines on top of it. Oh, and yeah. Like, and then so what does he do to counterbalance the amphetamines? Yeah. Quaaludes. Mm, <laughs> so he can sleep at so night. He's taking fucking quaaludes so he can sleep at night. <laughs> so this motherfucker's bouncing back and forth. He ended. He ends up actually employing an actual church doctor as well who helps him with these things. But these drugs that he's on uh, becomes a problem at home. I mean, obviously he's becoming a drug addict. But he actually, his son, Stephen, that I mentioned earlier, his only biological son, and this is where I got into kind of the hereditary talk with mental illness earlier, he attempted suicide several times just at the age of 13, I think it was. He, no, uh, three times at the age of 12, excuse me, is what, what took place. He attempted suicide, and they were by taking quaaludes in particular. He tried to overdose on his dad's quaaludes. He got in his quaalude stash and took them. That right there tells you that there's an element of mental illness going on inside this family without question beyond. Stephen, unfortunately, he he was kind of on the outs with the family in that, in that respect. I mean, he stayed with the family. He was in the church and that sort of thing, but he and the eldest daughter were both really predominantly kind of the two that weren't as active in the church as the rest of the family. And coincidentally, I believe that they are the two that die actually ultimately whenever the massacre takes place is the two people that were like least involved in it. Like Jim Jones Jr. For example, he did a lot inside the church mm-hmm. and he survived it. And he's right, in many of right. the documentaries that you can find nowadays. Right. And of course, Jim Jones Jr., is, whom we referenced earlier, was the first black person adopted in 1961 in Indiana by the Jones family. You know, you can kind of see like things are just like spiraling out of hand. Things are getting crazy. These articles and things are starting to come alight. There's a threat that there's this huge expose going to start to take place. 
you know, like things start happening inside the church with what they refer to as the gang of eight. They're the eight college age kids that left the church and they basically went like on a fucking Tony Robbins type like excursion and like, uh, like smoking fucking weed in the desert and shit like that too on top of it. But they like went a, around like public speaking, like yeah. to talk about it. The way I took the dynamic of the relationship, I'd like to do more of a study on the Gang of Eight specifically. But they just kind of seemed like kids that weren't like really their intent wasn't to like, you know, take the church down. It was more about their own personal, you know, benefit of like being public speakers and like trying to blackmail right, the right. church and so on and so forth. Jim Jones, at least publicly... Or, or and most of the tapings that you'll find, like of recording meetings and stuff like that that took place, he was about actually bringing them back and showing them compassion. And like there was these like weird, still like humane elements of Jim Jones still yet there, you know, when he was stateside. Uh, now, ultimately, who knows what would happen? But like at this point, it's not believed that the church is like killing people, right? Right, right. right. Just while but, it's happening, right? Right before we decided to take off from California. Two, we got to mention the fact that Jim Jones started to franchise his own church and his own brand with the People's Temple. So he started to move south. So, you know, uh, Ukiah is where they kind of started things off here. He started to move down towards San Francisco and L.A. and start having churches there. So I, I know that it was like near the 3000 mark whenever he finally started to start making those moves toward paradise, essentially, which is, you know, the Jonestown settlement. Um, Jonestown settlements, we'll mention that while we're here. So that was kind of their excursion to create their ultimate paradise, you know, their utopian society, if you will. Be self-sufficient and everything like that. You know, when it comes to utopian societies, of course, if you've read any good book about a utopian society, we know exactly where utopian societies ultimately lead. And it ends up with people like more nefarious pulling the puppet strings. They start out and they're, they're not equipped for developing out. Guyana at this time. We're talking about South American jungle in the bush. I'm pretty sure like whenever they showed up and started clearing land out, they actually saw late 90s animated Disney Tarzan in the woods with Phil Collins as they started to clear the bush back, <laughs> just like hanging out and smoking a lot of fucking peyote and making music. This tells you how thick this jungle is. Cartoon par Tarzan might pop up here. They would send down equipment from the United States and it would like break down on them. Like the church was just like burning money on equipment down there just trying to develop and clear the land out like their chainsaws literally broke the minute that they tried to cut the trees dozers and stuff I yeah think dozers they blow up motors inside of dozers and everything else mm -hmm. like they did not have the faculties to do it and like they actually employed a lot of the natives to help them clear the jungle and they were more adept to do it but they're like clearing the jungle with like hand tools by comparison which you think oh but it's more about the the wood fibers and how strong that they were even though that they looked flim flimsy and kind of were in some respects it was more of a precision that you had to take not the blunt right, right. A, a dressing of clearing like you would in es excavation sometimes excuse me they burn up the equipment they're they're burning up money and and jim jones itself himself at least knows that this is not going as well as perhaps i plan to do it but everything he ever reported was great Everything right, was right. always great. Right. You know, nothing, nothing. He would never concede defeat whatsoever. But as we mentioned earlier, as Jim Jones started to get kind of more and more of this uh, recognition in the media in a negative fashion. So like the Gang of Eight was a, you know, kind of a first of string of blemishes on his record, if you will. 
it came to that there was many defectors inside the church that left the church on many occasions. So they started to be approached by media. And essentially what was going to happen was that there was going to be a large article published where they interviewed several people in the church. This was a substantiated article. They took pictures of the people. They interviewed uh, family members from the church. Like these, these reporters did their work for right, this article. Right. And it was going to damn him to hell. So Jim gets fucking paranoid. They get a plane. Even his second secretary that I mentioned earlier that he started to employ, this one was like his favorite sex buddy. So he he, he, he would fuck this one. Right? Yes, he okay. would fuck okay. this one. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of jealousy between the two right, on account of right. it, the two secretaries. He would fuck this one. She even got her aviator's license so that she could fly him on a whim. So essentially like a thief in the night, they decided to escape California. And now we're headed down to Guyana, to the Jonestown settlement. So they get down there, and immediately it like booms from like 50-something people to 500 people. And they don't have the land cleared. They don't have the beds. They don't have the facilities. Right. They you can look in some of the documentaries and see like the buildings they built using right. like banana leaves and, you know. Yeah, and the food was scarce. They didn't right. have an, enough resources to produce as right. much as they needed for that amount of people. Right. Exactly. And also he would send back pictures, though, once he got there of like he would actually go to local markets and purchase fruit and stuff and like come back and pretend as if that that was their crops that they were harvesting, send them back home. Right. Mm -hmm. And they did some, well, we'll get into that, but before the press came and the senator came and stuff, I think they did some of that too. Right. Kim Jong-un is really famous for doing that when he has any kind of Western media in the country. He'll like fill up the grocery stores and take them to specific ones that are full of food and yeah, you know. And uh, another thing that we should mention, too, who also made the trip with the Jones family is Mr. Muggs. Mr. Muggs is the mascot of the pet chimpanzee of the church that is the mascot of People's Temple. So Mr. Muggs made the travel from California down. This guy and fucking monkeys, dude. Yeah. And Mr. Muggs was like a personal bodyguard for him in many respects as well. I mean, a chimpanzee, yeah. He was stout and he would like protect him and he like communicated with sign language. Like it was a very intelligent, I mean, monkeys are intelligent anyways and intelligent animals. He had a relationship with the monkey. I would not be surprised. Like nothing would surprise me with Jim Jones. He's probably fucking the monkey in the ass too. (laughs) And that is the premise of Outbreak, folks. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> oh. So, but Mr. Muggs, they had to keep him in a cage half the time. Right. Because they're in a jungle. Right. right. He's going to let a chimpanzee right. roam around in the jungle. Oh, yeah. Right. There was all kinds of. And, that, and that's the other thing. Like, once you made it to Jonestown, there was no getting out of Jonestown. The bush was so thick. Right. Like, they, you, go in, you couldn't even walk a mile into the jungle, do a 360 in the jungle, and be totally lost and not know where you're oh, at. Yeah. You yeah, can never yeah, navigate sure. your way out of the jungle. Right. If the jungle itself, just the navigation, didn't get you, there was obscene amounts of poisonous snakes at the time and jungle cats. Mm-hmm. So, like, they would literally eat people and the uh, forest was so dense like with vegetation sunlight wouldn't even hit like escape past the canopy in many respects and get down to the floor level of the jungle right. so it would be like pitch bark black dark it's but so daytime thick. in right. some places right inside there so it was impossible to navigate right so you're there you're, you're there you ain't getting out right so Another thing, he had to get tight. Jones had to get tight with, you know, local embassy, this, that, the other thing. And he still had political allegiances back home. But this article starts to get out. Uh, Family members of the church start freaking out. And they start getting a hold of area representatives, so on and so forth. So this is getting uh, 
the flames stoked. Right. And getting the authorities involved and stuff. You'll regret it if you don't die. You'll regret it. Too many people. I saved them. I saved them, but I made my example. I made my expression. I made my manifestation, and the world was ready, not ready for me. Paul said, I was a man born out of due season. I've been born out of due season just like all we are, and the best testimony we can make is to leave this goddamn world. Also, Jim did a lot of other things that kind of essentially made his own bed, if you will. So we talked about how it started out within the fifties and then it turned into 500 very quickly. Well, that 500 very quickly turned into nearly a thousand people that were down in Jonestown. So we talked about earlier that they weren't developed and out, out enough. I mean, let's like this population boom took place over the course of, I think it was less than 18 months, all these people there, not enough food. So they're down to two meals a day is what they're eating. And they're working at least 11 hours a day. Now that seems like compared to what I mentioned earlier, but you had to consider the conditions. You are in the jungle. Yeah, you're working in the jungle. Also, and you're working to survive. It's right. It's different. You know what I mean? Also, the demographic of the people that are there. A third of the people are elderly. A third of the people are children. So we're talking 17 age and under. And then a third of them are working class, middle aged, able bodied people so, to do right. the work. A third is so taking So essentially, care of. jungle natives that they've employed, teenagers and the working class adults are the ones that are putting in the manual labor type work. So you're talking 300, 300, 300, you know, it's a little over 900, almost a thousand that ultimately were there again, as I mentioned earlier. So you're talking like when we're splitting those demos up, we're talking in the 300 range per. So that's, that, that's only so much work you can get done in a day, even in working in shifts and things of that ilk, even as the property developed out. Another thing that happened while they were down there with Jim Jones, now things escalated on the punishments. So, and then they started to make a, like a solitude chamber. Um, to start punishing people. And then Jim started using his note cards on what he had on people. So they were like, for example, there's this black lady, elderly black lady that was, had a vicious fear of snakes. And you can actually hear in some of the Jonestown tapes, her actually being like publicly ridiculed and a boa constrictor was made to be put on, on her and she had to take it. And she alludes to it having happened previously, but this is the only documentation of right, it. Right, right. So, you know, what you actually heard was only a fraction of what actually happened out there. Right, right. Also, for some fucking reason, Jones felt the need to have another fake assassination attempt down there. So he actually has his son, I think it's Jim Jones Jr., go out to the bush line and shoot back up toward the pavilion where he's at. Right. Now, to give you an idea, if you've ever seen the movie The Sacrament by Ty West, came out like 2011, I want to say, uh, it's actually heavily inspired by Jonestown and Jim Jones specifically. Like, they literally recreated their set is a recreation of the layout in Guyana specifically. So the pavilion that you see in that and kind of the the head of that is where Jim's would give a lot of his in-person sermons. Yeah, you're talking like there. that big tabernacle looking. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he would he had his son go out in the woods and shoot up toward him. And again, they staged an event in which, you know, it made it look like he survived another assassination attempt. And then they went on to say that that was the CIA sending people down. Right. He's making an enemy. He's trying right. to not be the enemy. He's creating an enemy for the church. Right. And there's people too. Now everybody gets homesick, right? So there's people, there's a, there's a low murmur, like in the lower 10 percentile, probably even down to 5% of people in Jonestown specifically, they're starting to get homesick. They want to go back home. They want to be back with their families, so on and so forth. 
And that's natural. And, and right, they would right. sometimes let people go back home, but it had to be for purposes. Like, so like Tim Stone, for example, his right-hand man, he would go back home and, and execute something politically for him or, or deliver money to somebody or bring money back or whatever the case, you know, just kind of more logistics right, type stuff. Right. There was a purpose. Right. Well, Tim Stone's wife, Grace, started to get tired of the shit in the church and she wanted to leave the church. And Tim, she got mad that Tim was gone all the time. So she wanted to take on a, a, another lover, essentially, is the short of it. They wanted their issues to be fixed. They take him to Jim Jones. Jim Jones comes up with this fucking amazing concept that he's going to fuck Grace and impregnate her with his child. And that's going to keep them all tied back into the community and they can't leave. And then this is going to be Jim Jones's heir to the throne, if you will. It's Jesus. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> essentially, yeah. That's that's exactly what they're going for. So he does this. Now this starts Tim Stone having resentment toward Jim Jones because he didn't want to lose his wife. He he was only a victim of circumstance. Well, I'm sure he didn't want Jim Jones respects, to fucking impregnate he didn't his wife. Want, yeah, exactly right. So then Jim Jones, to further this fucking wild situation, had them both write statements. Her writing that she enjoyed thoroughly being fucked by father <laughs> and that he impregnated her and that she enjoyed every minute of the conception and blah, 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 blah. And then him writing, him being Tim Stone, writing that he gave him permission to do so, being Jim Jones, to fuck his wife because he was unable to produce a child himself. So that's like, you know, yeah. really some kind of almost cuck shit, you know, like tucking your balls for sure. Oh, yeah. And it just humiliated him and it ate at him. Like, I'm sure there was some immediate humiliation, but really what aided him, um, what really got Tim to turn away from him altogether, uh, Jim Jones, is this kid. And he turns six and Grace at some point like leaves and wants to take the kid with her. And then they send the kid back to Jonestown. So the kid's in Jonestown. And Tim is actively trying to get the kid out of Jonestown now. And so Tim's like writing letters to political officials and so on and so forth. Help so this me. paired. Help yes. me. That's what he's And saying. Jim Jones is getting called for court hearings stateside that he's not showing up to. So then they start working with the Guyana embassy. And then they start having court hearings in Guyana that Jim Jones isn't showing up to. So this, paired with the article that got released in California right after he left, paired with other people coming forward, other family members coming forward and saying, you know, hey, he called my mom on a cylinder house and moved down there, and we can't get a hold of her, and she can't leave, and she's right. senile, so or whatever the case is. basically the walls are crumbling in on Jim Jones. Absolutely. So he starts to, like, ramp up a, a comical anecdote to the side real quickly, too, <laughs> i got to mention. Uh, in the midst of these, like days that he has people working out in the jungle for like 11 hours plus and having two meals a day and so on and so forth like it's clear that these people are emaciated right so like right. there's no way that you're not right, right jim jones somehow kept getting fatter because oh, while he was there that dude was feasting well the guy's on fucking meth though too so you got to keep yeah. in mind what that does to you as well but somehow he was getting fatter, so fat that they had to actually order shirts from the United States to be sent down because they could not get they their hands on shirts down, down in there in Venezuela. Yes. <laughs> right. Which is absurd, right? Even the math also, could keep him getting fat. Jim gets back into his spirit of loving basketball in particular. Oh, God. And so they start their own People's Temple basketball team that competes in Guyana. 
and they get their asses handed to them constantly. <laughs> That's so good. In competition. That's so good. And he would go back and tell everybody that didn't attend the event that they won. And he would preach about how they won and how much they won by it. Which was total bullshit. And, and extravagant right. fat. I mean, this is like Donald Trump shit 101, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just completely no shame whatsoever. And then it just got to the, like, the ridiculous point that they were losing so much and by such a drastic fashion that the lies just became about him lying about how much they lost by. So then he finally conceded <laughs> to the fact that they lost, but then they only lost by like, you know, if we had made that shot there at the end, we would have won. Right. You know, things right. like that. Two points, right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, his drug-induced states, he, Jim used to be able to command a crowd. His diction was fantastic. You know, again, we talked about his, some of the other, you know, speech tactics that he employed. Right. Um, he he was able to command a crowd. He always had the right things to say in the right situations, even when confronted, even when bucked against. And people did occasionally buck against him in the meeting, but he would bring them up and they would discuss it and they would work it out. Right. He's witty. For yes, sure. absolutely. He was like, you know, he had that, you know, off the cuff resolution ability. As he started taking the drugs, he started to lose that ability. So you can hear in some of the tapes and the recordings of the services that they had that he actually started to mispronounce words, slur words. He like randomly came up with this lisp all of a sudden. Yeah, it almost sounds like a speech like impediment, a sp- like with his front teeth right. or something like it. He was also trying to like model his voice a different way too. Right. I think towards the, you know, when the amphetamines came in, right. Mix, right. mixing that with the amphetamines right. and him going. And he would actually hold mock depositions and trials inside of the camps too. To where he would act like he was interrogating people that the CIA was infiltrating. And he would even (laughs) openly talk about it in his meetings, in his sermons, that the CIA was trying to infiltrate the group. And he would, like, bring people up and do sample trials and questions and and interrogations and what have you. He's cracking at the seams now. It's being public. People are knowing. And, like, some people are occasionally slipping out here and there. Not in great fashion, once again, you know. Right, right. Just very minimal. That paired with what I mentioned earlier, what was going on at home, he gets the the attention of uh, Representative Leo Ryan. Now, Leo Ryan was, um, you know, is often forgotten in the Jamestown tra- Jamestown tragedy right. in many respects. But he was a California Democrat. Uh, Ryan was very unconventional uh, in his politics in many ways. He once had himself locked up in Folsom Prison so he could just could see what the conditions were like, so he could actually think from the perspective of the prisoners, and he actually legislated for a lot of more humane and implementations and strategies and administrative decisions right. and things of that ilk. And then also he actually famously went after, like, seal beaters. You know, like, seal beating was a huge thing for the longest time. Yeah. It probably still is, but oh, you yeah. don't hear about it as much. Right. right. But he actually chased seal beaters from the United States into Canada <laughs> specifically. Like this dude was like a modern day, like fucking dog, the bounty or like previous version of dog, the bounty hunter, like oh, with, a, with a little less of a mullet. So, <laughs> and he, I, I don't think he was on meth, but you know, the dog, the bounty hunter has been on meth at some point. <laughs> so anywho, uh, but yeah, so Leo Ryan gets involved. The relatives in, of his constituents in particular would write him letters. So, and I want to mention the mail too. So like, you know, everybody in the temple thought that they could write letters to whoever and go back home. They're like, we're under this veil of reality that wasn't real. If right. you will. So they would write letters to family members back home and family members would write letters to the people down there. Well, Jim Jones was giving these sermons at the time, like America's in political warfare, everything, it's rioting everywhere, it's this, it's that, uh, the, America's about to get a nuke dropped on it, there's nuclear fallout, like, he's just giving the craziest 
fucking spiels. And people don't and, have TV or news or right. They no TV, no correspondence with absolutely. family. Right. So they're like starting to stage letters. Like they're not. They're keeping people from getting the letters from that they're writing. But then like where this kind of started to crack at the same as people at the temple started comparing letters with each other. And like, they were writing from the same place. It was the same handwriting. Like, like to me, if like Pam wrote me a letter, my wife, I would know that that was not, if it wasn't her handwriting. Or even if it was her writing it, like it should be be like, some of this seems kind of laughable to me, right? you know, but supposedly this was a thing where people didn't catch on to it immediately. And then they started to compare each other's notes. Right. And so when you got to talk about these people were heavily manipulated too. Oh yeah. And again, it kind of gets into that thing where an inch became a mile and became three miles. And now you're in fucking Guyana in South America and you're you're stuck. You're getting fucked in the ass by the pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Make your bed. You lay in it, baby. Speaking of making beds and laying it, uh, Jim Jones also at this time (laughs) uh, had a sex slave who was drug induced constantly and it was one of the attempted early escapees who didn't want to have sex with Jim oh, Jones. She it wasn't turned one down of the his secretaries? advances. No, his secretary made this happen. Actually, <laughs> she was off the books. Yeah, oh, she, she was orchestrating yeah, this. Yeah, she like was orchestrating this actually happening. And so Jim had like his only like fuck palace, like his own little den, and uh, like his slaves would be confined to that area or whatever appointment he had for the day. I that, see yeah. Jim Jones laying on a jaguar skin, yeah. fucking black guys <laughs> on it. You know what He's I mean? It's like crazy, dude. Mr. Muggs is in the side in the cage. cage. Mr. Muggs is in the corner, slowly smoking a cigarette, <laughs> filming it the whole time. <laughs> He's waking his meat in the corner. Right. Yeah. So, anywho. Uh, Another thing that kind of controversy that popped up too inside the church, I, I'm not sure exactly timeline where this happened, but certainly we want to mention it to her before we get to the ultimate demise is that Jim um, got approached for not fucking enough black people in the church. So like apparently Jim predominantly fucked white. Now there is records of him fucking black people too, right? but it, it was a, an extreme minority. So whenever he was confronted about it in one of these planning commission committee, uh, committee meetings, he uh, said it was because that white women had a bourgeois attitude that he had to fuck out of them and that black people didn't. And that's what made them more superior in race. That's how he's playing. He's playing on people's emotions. Oh, yeah. With that. oh yeah. And and people heard that and they were like, oh, I, I can get well, behind that. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. That's Pastor. noble. That's yeah. noble. Yeah, exactly noble right. And, then, and he takes another one for the team, right? Right. I was the respect die with a degree of dignity. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. It's nothing to death. It's like Max said. It's just stepping over in another plane. Don't, don't be this way. Stop this hysterics. This is not the way for people who are socialist to communists to die. No way for us to die. We must die with some dignity. Another thing that's happening very, very rampantly in this as well is that women are getting pregnant with Jim Jones's baby and they're all about abortions. Jim Jones saw abortion as just an inconvenience to his release is literally his words. So like it was the common that they were getting abortions inside. Jim Uh, Jones did end up knocking Guyana. Abortion. abortion, yeah, jungle, yeah. Jungle I feel abortions. like that that should be like the punchline to a joke Ugh. that's not been explored enough, you know. 
It's like, uh, she's got to get, she, you know, she's going to get one of those Guyana abortions. You know, it's probably kind of like the abortion that my mom tried with me. It was kind of a coat hanger in the backseat of a old Chevrolet. Right. But, you know, it didn't really work out, mom. Nice miss. Well, you got to get on that same table that the guy had his junk mashed on. Yeah, exactly. The well, sanitary conditions alone, I'm sure, Well, if all you people in Texas need an abortion, don't forget about the guy in an yeah. abortion. Yeah. So you go down to Jonestown. Go on down to Jonestown. Still there. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> but, um, but so his secretary that he did like to fuck all the time did end up getting pregnant, and she took a little sabbatical for um, uh, to go have the baby with her family and then came back as well so she was allowed to have the baby in this instance because it was a reward that he gave her for being so loyal essentially and she she was all about it and she had a husband and that was the surrogate father and they were all cool with it so um back to leo ryan so leo ryan of course he eventually gets his way in he gets accepted to come down to jonestown leo ryan comes down and they practiced for this visit so everything went smashingly. Couldn't win it more perfect. And you can there's actually documentation again on YouTube of this. Right. The one there a news crew actually with? Yeah, he brought reporters with him. He brought uh, some of the family members that wrote him that were wanting to come back to see their beloved, right. if you will. He brought quite the I think it was somewhere in the 40s or so that he brought down with him. I mean, it was quite the uh, entourage, if you will. So they show up and... Um, they get off the airstrip. They're welcome. They're brought into the the town. Right away, they noticed armed guards outside right, the city. Right. You know? And then um, Jim Jones, of course, we mentioned earlier, has his own uh, military, uh, militant uh, guards, if you will. Yeah, they're like his armed bodyguards. Yeah. And uh, so they're, like, safeguarding him constantly. So the presentation's obviously a little off at first, but then they come to see, like, this is a socialist haven. This is everything that they said it's going to be. Everybody's got a job. Everybody's got a purpose. Everybody's putting forth the effort. Like, Rep Ryan becomes, like, ultra-impressed. Like, there's footage of him going on, like, you know, I was, like, a little concerned about coming down here, but everything's on the up and up, you know. Right. It's it's great. Right. It really is great. And he's like, I commend you for the work that you're doing and everything. Literally, as this conversation's going on, uh, people inside the temple, so members that were there, were passing off notes, thinking that they were handing them off to representatives, um, you know, cabinet, but they're actually handing them off to reporters. So the reporters are making a big scene about it. Right. Whenever they get them. And so, like, it's caught on footage, like, hey, these, why are they saying they want to go? So this is kind of the famous... A bunch of them are wanting to flee with right. the representative, right? And so a lot of people want to flee. There's kind of a bit of a panic and pandemonium that breaks out. And so, like, they get in an argument with Jim Jones specifically on camera. And Jim Jones just tries to talk it up to a few people lying. If they want to leave, leave. It's fine. It's no big deal. Go do your thing. Right, right. And he tries to act like everything's, you know, still yet on the up and up. So secretly, he kind of lets whoever leave quietly. And I believe, like, if you were to do it in percentages, it's about 3% of the people. So it doesn't sound like a lot. And they right. were actually preparing for about 10% to leave the community. So 3% of the people end up leaving and uh, going with the congressman. And this is kind of infamously where the death tape starts off at. This is where they're recording and he's having um, Jim Jones is holding court under the pavilion. And the pavilion, he's starting to lay out a prophecy that the senator is going to be attacked. And then even right in the middle of the death tape, you can hear where he says, oh, this, the senator has been killed. The senator has been killed. Right. So this, he obviously had the senator killed 
with some of his armed guards. Uh, they were shot on the runway. Amazingly, that some people did survive, and there's eyewitness accounts of what actually took place, even some footage. Yeah, that's still say, I think there is some footage of actually some of the perpetrators firing weapons at him and stuff right. from the news crew that was yeah, there. Yeah, there is footage, uh, pictures. There's kind of some famous pictures, too, of Representative Ryan whenever they're actually leaving the compound already has blood on him. That's a failed assassination attempt on him. They snuck off into some private room, and uh, I guess some guy who's trying to muster up the courage to actually slit his throat, uh, Rep- Representative Ryan's throat, couldn't really get down with it, and he stopped him. And so the blood that's on his shirt is like whenever he stopped the assassination attempt and was leaving the compound. Damn. Well, he was starting to leave the compound, but he had decided when this took place, I believe also is initially Representative Ryan was going to leave with everybody off the compound, the 40-something people. Um, he ends up not. He just ends up deciding that he's going to stay back in case anything else manifests itself that's, you know, not on the up and up. Right. So this is where the failed assassination attempt comes. So then he goes fleeing the compound, I think, is how that kind of plays out. Another thing that was discovered as well um, there in Jonestown, unfortunately, after the act that took place took place, was a farewell note that was written uh, written from what they believed to be Richard Trope. Um, at least two farewell notes were left behind in Jonestown, including the unsigned letter that is often attributed to Richard Trope, a, a teacher and a writer for the temple. That letter eloquently explained why it was necessary for the temple and its members to commit suicide. And Jim Jones didn't order the attack on Congressman Ryan or his party. The letter concludes, if anybody understands, it matters not. I am ready to die now. Darkness settles over Jonestown on its last day on earth. However, some of the survivors today do dispute that that was actually Trope's letter and farewell note. Uh, Tim Carter, which is one of the, is probably the most prominent survivor and has written many, written many books, um, is one of those doubters. And he says that on the day of the tragedy, he witnessed Trope actually arguing with Jones against the suicide plan before Jones actually made his speech and made his followers at the pavilion consume the flavor aid that was contaminated with cyanide so i mentioned the death tape earlier where it starts congressman ryan and his folks head off to the plane um so this is when jim starts his sermon jim starts to as i mentioned earlier prophesy that the congressman's going to be shot dead um then eventually reveals that the congressman is shot dead but he's telling everybody needs to lay down their life that he's tired he's tired of this shit uh, that, you know, they, they did what they did and they're dying in protest to what they're going to ultimately do. And he's using a lot of like fear mongering, obviously, as one would in these situations right, right. that the youth and the elderly. So the children and the elderly in particular are going to be tortured by the CIA, rape. I mean, just like everything that you can imagine nefariously. Um, the death tape is kind of cuts in and out and, and Jones does hit the mute button semi-routinely sometimes t- seemingly for no reason. And you can tell there is, you know, one argument that takes place. It's an elderly black woman in the church that was known to be kind of a pain in Jones's ass in many respects that would actually refute. And she asked him, why not go to Russia? That's the safe haven you keep telling us about. And Jones just can, dismisses it and says, Russia doesn't want us. They, they aren't going to want us. Do you think they're going to have the capacity to come pick up all of us at one time? Do you think that they're going to, that the U S is going to allow that? Do you, they, you right. know, just kind of just poking holes in it the whole time. So then she tries to pivot her conversation into at least sparing the youth. 
And then Jin starts to make this whole argument that actually killing the children was the most humane thing to do and that parents having the option to die with their children is a, a humane choice. So this is where they start the line and they start with the children and the flavor aid and cyanide are served up and they're forcing the drink down the throats of babies and children. And if they don't take it, they're injected with syringes. So not to say that like everybody there was uh, injected with syringes. When I say syringes, it's, we're talking two different types. We're talking kind of the baby style syringes, like the oral right, ones. Right, right. And then we're also talking like needle syringes. So both things did happen. And many of the needles that they found inside of people's bodies were bent. So that infers forcibly Force. entered into somebody's body. Right. So that in and of itself as well, obviously, uh, shows that there was some force, there was some resistance. People did not want to go down with this deep. You got to move. Are you going to get the medication here? You got to move. Yeah. Marshall, in about 40 minutes. You have to move, and the people that are standing there in the aisle go stay in the radio room yard, but everybody get behind the table and back this way, okay? There's nothing to worry about. Everybody keep calm and try and keep your children calm. And the older children can help love the little children and, and reassure them. Who wants to go with their child has a right to go with their child. I think it's humane. I want to go. I want to see you go, though. I, they can take me and do with me whatever they want to do. I want to see you go. I don't want to see you go through this hell no more. No more, no more, no more. We're trying. If everybody will relax, the best thing you do to relax, then you will have no problem. You'll have no problem with the thing if you just relax. How can you do them all the time taking a drink to take to go to sleep? That's what death is, sleep. But I'm tired of it all. And so then that progresses into kind of the elderly and the older class. And it seems to be like no rhyme or reason made to these decisions, but there's people that escape the compound. Like, you know, there's um, eyewitness reports of somebody just going up to a guard and saying, I want to leave because I want to be able to tell the story of what happened here. And they let him. Right. There's another one that says that I don't believe there was another instance of some a temple member saying that I don't believe I believe with the killings and the guards let him go. Right. Uh, in, in fact, uh, somebody confronted Jones and Jones allowed him to go. But there was other instances where, you know, like a young 20 uh, year old mother was forced to take the poison along with her daughter with a drug up toward the altar. Right. Uh, well, the, toward Jones's kind of figure headed area where they had the table set up for the Kool-Aid and what have you. And um, you can actually hear on the tapes, you know, like crying and, and her trying to console you know. her and. Jim tries to say, too, that this is the humane way for them to die, that there's no pain and yada yada on the mm -hmm. death tapes. When you drink cyanide, it is a very painful death. Oh, Essentially, yeah. it's a poison that dehydrates you. You start to foam from the mouth. Um, you go into convulsions, and it can. it's usually no shorter than five minutes that it takes you to die. It could be up to 20 and even 40 minutes in some instances. So a lot of people you, probably suffered. Right. So it's a long, slowing death in many respects. And it's not like a you know, everybody's taking it all at the same time. Like it took what, like four or five hours. Right. Right. Yeah. For so they're sitting there watching people drop. Right. Yeah. yeah. Over a period of five hours. Right. Just holding that cup, watching everybody just. Yeah. Speaking of four or five hours. Yes. It took about four hours for everybody to quote unquote die. Um, 
the secretary that we mentioned earlier that was Jones's favorite, uh, she can be heard on the death tapes giving instructions on how to file up in line with the children to drink the Kool-Aid and what have you. Uh, I keep saying Kool-Aid, but it's Flavor-Aid, okay? So Kool-Aid, don't come after us. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is Flavor-Aid. Yeah. And people do commonly say it's Kool-Aid. Hell, I mentioned it earlier. You know, that's the, that's the popular saying, don't drink right. the Kool-Aid. Like, right. it's actually Flavor-Aid, which is a knockoff. Right. So, and another interesting now, fact... Now did she... Did she commit suicide? The yes. Secretary? Yeah, we're going to get there. Okay. So okay. Um, she was basically tasked with staying behind. So she's the other letter that was found at the Jamestown uh, compound. Okay, yeah. I think I remember and this from the documentary I she, watched. She ends up basically left behind. Her task was to just kind of clean everything up. It's believed that she actually shot Jim Jones in the head. Jim Jones died by a blunt gunshot to the head. Right. So it's believed that she shot Jim Jones, that she made sure that everybody's poison and everything went through. There was even instances like where people took it both orally and took the shots, like with a, I guess, under the impression that it would make it more effective or if one more thing didn't work or the or other. Yeah. yeah. Like the, we don't know. We right. Don't. Right. We can only assume. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot that we still don't even know today because unfortunately there's so little survivors and the survivors that there are, not to say that they didn't witness any of the horrors, but a lot of them were people that kind of got out for the shit hit the fan sort of deal in many respects. So, uh, but she was one of the last and kind of ominously, um, you know, leaves a letter that says that essentially it was all worth it. <laughs> You know, is paraphrasing the Jesus. ending of her letter. So I mentioned earlier um, that two of Jones's five kids had died there. Um, actually, the three other children had been sent with a task out of the community to, to accomplish, and they came back and actually found everybody dead. Otherwise, they probably have been caught in right. it. And one of the three, of course, is Jim Jones Jr. Right. in that uh, group of folks. And I, I guess by process elimination, the other would be the other minorities. Coincidentally, so the Native American girl as well as, um, or excuse me, the Native American and the Korean persons. It was also found that Jim at least believed somewhere thereabouts, FBI seized about $10 million in accounts that Jones just had himself. The church had over $30 million in assets when it was all said and done. But Jim had $10 million in his personal money. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of money that they didn't recuperate from the compound as well. And uh, the people's temple in and of itself, because they did kind of get into that early fad of offshore uh, accounts and what and what have you. And there's still money today that has not been recuperated that is in offshore accounts from this Jonestown stuff. Yeah. Which is crazy to even consider. Yeah. Or even think about. Um, Unfortunately, over 900 people lost their lives. Again, we're talking, you know, at the time it was viewed as a um, mass suicide. But really... The arguments there, I, I have heard people just like laugh that it's even referred to as that, you know, certainly some of these people were doing it will, willingly, but whenever you get into that cult mindset, right. and, and you being directed about... and goaded, and this goes back to our very first episode, the January 6th insurrection talk, right. people are, these ideas and thoughts are planted into people's minds. And he, with reason, Jones recruited these people to be in his church. Right. Whether they were of lower cognition or they had circumstantial issues. I mean, like another thing that he did is he went and recruited criminals and drug addicts specifically, cleaned them up 
And, you know, people like that, whenever they have an opportunity for to flourish in a community with no, you know, concerns, coincidentally, most of them are like used for his personal guard as well, but right, neither right. here nor there. Like those people like really buy into some into shit, even if it's crazy, because it's better off than what they had previously. Right. You know, there's no contesting that. And uh, and then you're also dealing with like kind of other psychological phenomenons that go on like hive mind and those sorts of things, too. Right. So, you know, I I look I think it's an amalgamation of things. Of course, there's people that truly believe the cause that willingly took their lives regardless of whether or not they were inspired to do so. Like, you know, even in his faked assassination attempts, his faked uh, suicide um, displays that Jim Jones conducted on his people. Like there wasn't a lot of instances of his people like freaking out about fake poisonous, like ingestion. Like they were like largely down with it. Like, so this is something that had been inbred into them to be a commonality or a real possibility, if you will, on account of that. Right. He did it like over the years. Right. His, running of right. the church right. and just and ultimate, ultimately i mean even listening to the death tape i think jim jones bears most of the responsibility i mean i mean yeah. obviously 100 sure. percent of the responsibility yeah. sure. but um uh, to make an argument that you know he's not responsible and some people willingly chose to take their life i mean i think that's kind of absurd in my opinion but yeah, and, and I could see how somebody might make the argument, but really at the end of the day, I'm I land on that side as well. Yeah, is that these people would have never been there in the first place if it wasn't for Jim exactly. Jones? Exactly, he's he's responsible for the whole situation. So, um, I just kind of historically wanted to put in context too. Like, I wanted to go and see like other historical mass suicides, kind of the more popular stuff. So this was actually kind of chilling. So I just went for a straight up search on um, in some of the earliest reports of them in uh, Ottoman Empire specifically, which is wild because June uh, Jones actually alludes to this in some of his recordings is the suicides in the Ottoman Empire specifically. So this motherfucker was obviously a study of history, if, as if we didn't really spell that out earlier. Like he was getting ideas from historical events that took place. Uh, so Ottoman Empire is kind of the first example, and I'm not going to do them all, but I'm, I want to make a mention of a few of them just so you can kind of see the numbers. Some of these have numbers when they happened. And then actually one of these is going to lay the groundwork for a, our next cult episode that we'll eventually do too. So uh, number two, um, historically that I want to mention was um, the Suli region in 1803 near Greece. And this is where uh, tons of women and children jumped off cliffside and there's monuments there today for right. doing so for Turkish invaders were coming in. Um, so that was kind of another uh, like really, and, and that kind of thematically is the more popular examples of mass suicides over the years are essentially people that lost some, you know, a, a, position in war or were being uh, invaded, if you will. Yeah, like is, the Japanese and the ritualistic suicide, not surrendering to the Americans. Exactly and stuff right. Like that, so. so three is um, the Puputan, uh, which is Belenese uh, for suicide uh, example, and that's Indonesian people. They were, they committed suicide to, again, ward off or not be victim of what the Belenese people were doing. 250 people died then. Uh, the fourth example, to your Japan talk, Josh, 1944, by, right after the Battle of Saipan, uh, General Saito 
did promise elite spiritual status for anybody who took their life and did not surrender to the U.S. Right. Yeah. So that was a that was a big number there. An interesting well. fact with that that goes all the way back to samurais. Yes, samurais yes. ritualistically killed themselves if they were unable to escape defeat. a situation. Escape a, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Right. Um, my number five example here is Berlin after the Nazi fall in World War II. Just in Berlin alone, over seven thousand Nazis killed themselves. Right. Or people uh, supporting not the Nazi right. party. Right. That is just in Berlin. That's not the whole of Germany in every Nazi-occupied area. Yeah. So that's wild to consider as well. 7,000 people jumping out of windows, off of buildings. Um, Eating cyanide capsules. Yeah. Yeah, like I think I read that most of the Luftwaffe, which is the German Air Force, most they had kits. The pilots had kits. Right. And uh, they Cyanide would contain tablets. they would contain all kinds of stuff like amphetamine to keep you going, like all kinds of different medication. But one of them was a cyanide tablet in case you were captured. Uh, six is Heaven's Gate, and we're definitely going to do an episode oh, yeah. on this in the future because this is that. like oh, the real UFOs this is the and real, aliens and shit. Yeah. We'll, we'll have uh, we'll have Ridge back on on that one. But Heaven's Gate is definitely like my first introduction to cults, and then kind of went backwards with you know as I mentioned at the beginning. Reading the article, there was a lot of mentions of Jonestown, so that's what piqued my interest there. But 39 bodies were found with matching attire, and uh, in, they actually drank poisonous apple juice, but they had, like, track suits that matched. They wore Nikes, so that was kind of a joke, running joke for a while. Right. It was like, you know, Nike being tied to cults and that sort of thing. Uh, the King of the Hill introduction Ridge mentioned earlier, like, that was a largely a parody of Heaven's Gate and was about the same time that that came out. So that's another big example. But the big thing that Heaven's Gate did was the castrating. I didn't. I didn't really know about that. Yeah, they all. Yeah. Uh, what did they? What did Apple White? Uh, and then uh, seven. These are my last two examples, dude. So I've got uh, in two thousand, which this is what something I wasn't even aware of in Uganda. There was a movement to restore the Ten Commandments. So this was actually another Christian-related cult, and there's a lot of because it's in Uganda, it's primitive, yada yada. Um, there's a lot of speculation as to what actually happened. There's allusions to the fact that they were actually attacked because a lot of the uh, civilization was burnt. But there, there is also examples of them actually poisoning themselves. Right. So right. this was a movement, and that's, an, that's one I want to do more research on because that definitely intrigued me when I came across that. That's interesting, yeah. Uh, and then number eight was the Adams Family. Um, this is the in this was in 2007. This got some popularity because it was us. They jumped literally under an express train and it like severed their heads off. Jesus, that's yeah. brutal. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, speaking of jumping under express trains, like kind of one of the more fucked up things that happened in the last days of Jonestown. That's been said to or speculated. There's a guy who mysteriously fell, and this is somebody that got in trouble in the community mysteriously fell asleep on the tracks and died uh, down in Jonestown as well. Oh, yeah. So he was just taking so a nap and a train There's a lot of smoking. beliefs that they actually mm -hmm. started killing people that fucked up oh, bad yeah. enough yeah. down there. There's even recordings of them, you know, having the boxing matches and old ladies. There's, like, one of two ladies that you can hear just, like, beating the ever-living shit out of each other. It's just so unsettling. And, like, one of them's, like, clearly elderly and doesn't have all of her faculties and what have you. Like, it's just... It's not right. Yeah. You know, yeah, quite yeah, frankly, it's, it's, it's desensitizing to hear. Uh, Mr. Ryan, of course, he did get some notoriety, of course, for his actions and his bravery that he displayed 
uh, in trying to snuff out the Jonestown people and the nefarious things that are going on there. In 1983, he actually received the Congressional Gold Medal. Uh, and in his district in um, San Mateo, California, in 2009, they actually named a post office after him. So, congratulations. You yeah, died. You got a post office after murdered, you. murdered, but yeah, here's his post office. So, thank you very much for that. <laughs> Condolences <laughs> to your family. But the I mentioned earlier, too, kind of a part of all that, of course, like the falling out with Tim Stone was another thing. Like, Jim, Jim Jones, like, really started to, like, even fuck over his most closest of confidants in many respects and was ultimately really his demise. Like he even could have got away with everything in Guyana too. Really. It's just like, you just quit when you're, when you're, while you're ahead, you know, right. Right. You know, Before it started to really he, go south. Right. Between that and his drug fueled nightmares and paranoias, like Jim Jones got so paranoid that he even started to record him preaching. Like he had to be on the sound speakers at the compound constantly, like even after hours overnight, like he needed to have his voice, his influence permeating people's eardrums constantly. He would record, he would, he played old tapes of his preachings and stuff, even whenever he wasn't, but he'd go on like 11, 12 hour jags, like up in his compound talking over the microphone over the entire compound. And, uh, you know, and then again, when he wasn't the tapes, it's important for us to recognize, too, that the deaths in Jonestown actually didn't stop on the day um, of the killings in and of itself. There's a lot of people that dealt with the after, after effects. You know, you have to consider psychologically people going through that sort of trauma, PTSD, uh, lingering depression, anxiety, thing, anxieties that develop from those sorts of events. Um, you know, many of the people who survived, I think that the, and they're not ever included in the death tolls, but those who survived and went stateside and committed suicide themselves because they couldn't live with what was going on or whatever the case was, or succumbed to addictions. You know, a lot of those folks had issues with drug and alcohol, drugs and alcohol whenever they got out as well, just trying to reach for something to subdue the pain and the horrors that they went through. Uh, in you know, those aren't in those totals, in those 900-something totals of people that died on that day. So just kind of to recap the events, and I always like to do this with the who, what, where, when, and why. Uh, who's involved, of course, over 900 Americans, and, and they identified themselves as the People's Temple. Let's make sure that peoples were doing that right. There's no apostrophe in there, in there because it insinuates ownership, and with them appealing to African-American folks in particular, they did not want to have an ownership type mentality. Right, like Jim Jones's right. God church or right. something. And right. of course is led by Jim Jones. Uh, what happened? The People's Temple's members died after drinking the poison, uh, drinking poison at the urging of their leader, Jim, Reverend Jim Jones, in the South American jungle settlement. Where? We mentioned that, but, uh, you know, kind of things started to kick off in Indiana, went out to California, got compound crazy, and franchised his churches down all the way down south until he landed in Guyana eventually. So Guyana, which is near Venezuela and South America, so you get your bearings. Uh, when? This is in 1978. It happened on November 18th. This is the largest number of civilian casualties on U.S. citizens until September 11th. So people think of, you know, well, this happened in Guyana. That's not, yes, it is. They're still U.S. citizens. Right, they were U.S. citizens, right. Um, they did not have Guyanese citizenship, so they were U.S. citizens in Guyana who tragically lost their lives. 
Uh, and then why? Of course, we mentioned earlier at the urging of Jim Jones, but due to his drug-induced paranoia and delusions and just his overall God complex and mental health issues that he had himself uh, as a result of all those things. So, you know, kind of the demographics that we talked about earlier of all the people that died there. You know, I mentioned earlier, but Tim Stone, the attorney, his son actually died there on Jim's in, on, in Jonestown whenever the mass drinking came into play. He was one of 304 people under the age of 17 that died that day on the compound. It's important for us to mention as well, if they didn't die from drinking the poison, they were either shot in the head or they were injected with the poison via syringe. Right. We did kind of mention it in uh, the machinations of events, if you will, but just kind of explicitly so you understand. And again, I can't urge enough that over 300 of the people that died there were children. And obviously it's very sobering to hear. So we're going to play you out with the death tape here today just going to kind of sign some things off real quickly and i want to let everybody know that uh, next week we're going to have more positive things to talk about Uh, we're going to bring an old friend onto the show nathan landholt he's uh, the drummer for secret shame Uh, secret shame's getting a lot of notoriety he's in between tours right now so gracious to give us some of his time and uh, he's going to be on the show to promote the um, new record that they got coming out that they just recorded as well as their upcoming tour. And we're going to incorporate some of their music uh, so you guys kind of see what these audible treats that these cats have to offer for you and hopefully catch them on a tour date. We are also going to, at the end of the show this week, as we teased at the beginning and been teasing on social media over the last week, we're going to be, de- be debuting an exclusive track called Viper Matrix from Path of Might. Pathomite is an amalgamation of genres, so I think that they have a lot to offer for a lot of people. Uh, I feel like it could be appealing to people across all platforms. They've got owner, um, elements of stoner metal, uh, doom metal, progressive rock, post-rock feels at times. They even got like a really cool synth parts in their songs, so these cats can just jam if oh, you're into that. Good. Yeah, it's I've got the tape pre-ordered. I'm very nice. For that. Yeah. yeah. And Pathomite does have an album release show. It is Friday, April 22nd, the day that this show comes out. Hopefully you already knew about it and went, but perhaps maybe we got you guys at least an extra person to turn out to Red Flag. But it's at Red Flag, April 22nd, this Friday, doors at 7 p.m., $15 at the door, all ages. As always, support local music. 100%. And they are releasing their album, Deep Chrome. So Deep Chrome, you can pre-order on tape. Tomorrow I think they're going to be selling on tape as well. Um, and then they obviously have merch and all those things. You guys check them out. They're on Bandcamp. They're on Apple Music, Spotify, uh, anywhere you get your audio music. They are everywhere. And Deep Chrome does officially come out um, in physical release or form, at least the, the show on April 22nd. They are available digitally now. They came out this last Tuesday. You can also follow Path of Might to learn more about their shows on Instagram at at path underscore of underscore might. And then on Facebook, their handle is take the path of might. Ridge, thank you for coming on the show today. Sir. Yeah, Ridge. Yeah, I <laughs> appreciate you so it. Much, thank man. you guys. It's been fun hanging out. How talking yeah, about man. 
Jim Jones and Mr. Muggs. We'll definitely have to have you back for the next one that we do too. Yeah, Mr. Muggs actually was shot. We yeah. uh, we didn't throw that in oh, there. God so, damn! Yeah, Mr. Muggs even got this shot. This is a fucking Disney yeah, movie. If I've I know, ever heard I had of to do. end on such a shower note, didn't I? It's <laughs> <laughs> the most fucked up Disney movie. We had Tarzan's <laughs> ape friend in the jungle playing with Phil Collins to start things out. It seemed kind of lighthearted, like a lighthearted romp at first. We thought perhaps it would delve into some type of you know situational comedy where the boy from the jungle gets with the beautiful girl but then it turns out that mr muggs got fucking shot got his right? brain splattered <laughs> on the cage for this week i am at barry insane on instagram and twitter and i'm josh on twitter at bogw and on instagram and underscore joshua welch and we are out of time until next time guys good night good luck here's path of might with viper matrix in the close of the jonestown death don't, tape don't you'll be sorry that we do it and that they do it. Us trust you, you have to step across. We used to think this world, this world's not our home. Well, it sure isn't. As we were saying, it sure wasn't. Who yeah. doesn't want to tell him? All he's doing, if they will tell him, assure these children, some people assure these children of the relaxation of stepping over to the next plane. We've set an example for others. We've set 1,000 people who say we don't like the way the world is. Take our life from us. We laid it down. We got tired. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide protesting the conditions of an inhumane world.
Hey, this is Josh from ATI Podcast. For show updates and news about the podcast, follow us on social media. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ATI Podcast 22, on Twitter at podcast underscore ATI, on Instagram at the ATI Podcast, on TikTok at ATI Podcast. DMs are always welcome. Have a question for the show? You can always email us at ATI Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Stay safe out there.